Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Guess what day it is, huh? Hump day! Good morning, everyone. Happy hump day. Great to have you with us in the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Kerry Davis. Is it technically hump day and Friday? I think yesterday might have been hump day. Hump day might have been yesterday. I think today is technically Friday. It it technically (laughs) is, yeah. (laughs) I was waiting on you to play Friday for me. It's Friday, Friday. Yeah. And the Blues will spend Thanksgiving on the road. Okay, so that is Gary Davis, uh, Super Bowl champion, Pittsburgh Steelers, Hall of Famer for the Hazelwood School District at Hazelwood Central. And you're, you're not in the Hall of Fame at the University of Illinois. You should be. I'm not. You know what? Here's what happened, Randy. So the college football does not recognize fullbacks in their yeah. All-American um, oh. You know statuses, and therefore, I, I, I really do believe had they recognized fullbacks as all Americans, I would have been mm-hmm. an all American probably a couple of times, and therefore I would be in the University of Illinois. There Hall you go. So mm-hmm. we yep. need to fix that college football. Let's start there because fullbacks do matter. Right. <laughs> we are people, Randy. I know. You're and, people and I am a person, Randy, that works hard, <laughs> that runs into people for a living to make sure other people don't get hit. The nomination is on its way. Thank you. Middle I Tennessee really appreciate State it. Hall of Famer Brooke Grimsley is also here. <laughs> no, I, I am not in any Hall of Fame. That, oh, I think. Not yet. We're speaking it into existence, Brooke. <laughs> Rob, you high five. Uh, no, no Hall of Fame yeah, for me. We don't need Hall of Fame, Brooke. Uh, we're yeah. speaking it into existence. Hall of Fame people. We don't need, we don't need, we don't need the official Okay. In 10 years, um, Rock will be in the CBC Hall of Fame. I'm speaking that into existence as well. CBC folks, if you're listening, Matthew Rocchio, class of uh, 2009. There you, you go. Deserve- wow. On his way. Uh, Matthew Rocchio, first of all, we had a great time on the golf course yesterday, and thanks to our friends out at uh, Old Hickory for welcoming us. Had a great time with uh, Chris Muir, and the folks out at Old Hickory are just great. Had a good time playing golf on a beautiful day yesterday. But Matthew, I need to know what your your sweatshirt means. It says, go medium and sometimes stay out. <laughs> so I need to know what this means. This is a, this is a uh, present from my older brother, uh, Steve. Uh, Steven, who's my, one of my favorite people in the entire world. Yeah, it says, uh, yeah, yeah, um, go medium and go out, so stay out sometimes. Instead of like, go, oh. instead of like, uh, go hard or go, or go home it's stay medium and stay it, go, go medium, medium and stay, and stay out, out sometimes, sometimes. Okay. and it's just it's just a joke sweatshirt but my brother got me and the fact that it's blue and gold uh is, is, is fantastic. It's, it's Blues colors. It's also, I have a better chance, I think, of maybe getting into the St. Gabe's Hall of Fame. That's also blue oh. and gold. So I think that might be the better shot yeah. I have. A hashtag LGB. They're in Buffalo tonight. 5 o'clock pregame with Alex Ferrario and Joe, uh, Joe Vitale. 6 o'clock with the faceoff and the Blues going for eight in a row. And I don't even have the song. On seven. We are on seven. Yeah. Can we try that? It'll work. The number of the day, I say simply heaven. The number of the day is 
Seven. So we're still on seven. Seven is our number today as well. And the Blues got Vladimir Tarasenko back on the ice yesterday. Coach Craig Bruby, could you get him into the game tonight? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it depends on what we want to do. But, you know, we got, you know, there's good options, right? Really good option. <laughs> and especially when you can put 91 perhaps on a line with number 90. Just, um, I, I thought that that 18, 25, 89 line was pretty effective. You know, just trying to, you know, going to have to move some guys around and just see what works. All right, so you've got a desperate team in Buffalo. And by the way, Tage Thompson, they played last night. They won 7-2. Tage Thompson, the former Blue, had a big night for the Sabres. I believe that even though the Blues technically are the rested team, they were sitting in Buffalo last night eating wings while the Sabres were playing in Montreal. This is kind of a trap game for the Blues. I look at it that way. Do you, Brooke? Uh, possibly. What makes you think a trap game? Well, because they've won seven in a row and Buffalo really struggling at home. They did they win are, last yeah. night. But uh, it's not a terrible team. It's just it, it just feels to me like one of those games where the Blues are kind of feeling it because they've won seven in a row. The, Bull- the Blues, I said the Bullos. The Blues <laughs> will, more than, I think they'll win tonight. I think they, they, they are going to make it eight. I would hate for them to win this eighth one and then go lose three games, and then they'll kind of be. Yeah. Hey, hey, that would even things out, though. <laughs> you win, you lose, win three, lose eight, win eight, lose three. Uh, it would even things out. But I, I do think they'll win tonight. I think they have figured some things out, um, and and just taking care of the things that they can k- take care of, and and you know that's not turning the puck over. That's mm-hmm. that's you know, uh, forechecking and making sure that they are in the the getting back on defense and not leaving their defensemen out to dry. So I think they're starting to figure some things out. They have been figuring things out, how to play as a unit, how to play as a team, and they're really working hard. So it's, it's fun to watch. Well, you know, the thing I was thinking about last night, of course, it's always good to get a lot of your guys back, right? But it's almost like you had a good thing going. Mm-hmm. You know, you had, you kind of got a rhythm as a group, even without, you know, Tarasenko, even without, I know the Tory Krug was kind of in and out, and same thing with Colton Pareko. Of course you want those guys back because they're very important key pieces, not doubting that whatsoever, but it's almost like, wait a minute, you guys got a really nice rhythm going. Now you're going to kind of disrupt that system and kind of having to rebuild that chemistry in some ways of getting back on track altogether. Now, having Tarasenko back, of course, is really good, and I'm excited to actually see him with Ryan O'Reilly because I want to see how that works together. I thought it was a good move by Baruby by not disrupting that Buchnevich, Robert Thomas, and Jordan Kyrou line because, yeah. I mean, they are just – they look so good together. I, I, I like that group, too. And there is an old adage, uh, never blank with a winning streak. And you build chemistry, you've won seven in a row. I think that's fair. And, hey – 91 is a great player, but you can never have a guy be too healthy, right? So if you have an extra game to get him healthy, why not take advantage of it? And then tomorrow he can eat all his turkey and stuff (laughs) and and then get him back in in action on, uh, on Friday. Uh, and that game is the Blues taking on Tampa. You'll you'll need him more against Tampa than Buffalo. Well, I, I think they are all just that they're starting to figure out some line combinations and 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 where Tarasenko fits in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think is going to be crucial and critical uh, for how this team, how well this team plays on the on the offensive side, um, because he has he he's going to get going at some point. Yeah. But it's just finding out that right combination that he works well with, that he meshes well with, um, that can help him get going. Yep. And by the way, Tage Thompson last night in seven two win for Buffalo at Montreal, a goal and three. 
assists. And if you don't remember, he's the guy, one of the guys. He was the key in the Blues trade for Ryan O'Reilly five years ago. College football rankings stay the same. Georgia, number one. Ohio State, two. Michigan, three. TCU, four. And... (laughs) LSU is LSU. Fine. Well, yeah, they're, they're t- we've got Tennessee here, and that and that's the mystery right there because that's a two-loss team right. at number five over USC. And I think that'll change. It can change. USC has to beat ranked Notre Dame, right? Yes. My question is, well, let me give you an opinion. Tell me if you guys agree with this. I don't have a ton of respect for TCU, and I don't think they can win the national championship. But I think if you're an unbeaten Power 5 conference championship team, you should be in the final You should be in the in the final four. Yes. If you're I, an I unbeaten conference champion Power 5 team. And and if it needs to be, if, it, if that's not how it goes, then you need to change up how you handle uh, conferences yeah. as, as a whole. Because if you're not going to say, if you're going to say that the Big, Tw- Big 12 champion is undefeated, but they're not as good as the SEC Two lost team, that is that's maddening and to me. At the end of the day, I know that people are being paid now with NIL, but what the hell do you expect the kids to do? Has TC can could the TCU players have done anything more than what they've done? You you set a schedule in front of them, they win every single game. What else can they do? And that's why even if Ohio State or Michigan win by only a field goal, I still think TCU should be there. But I Brooke, USC to me is the team here. USC had one loss on the road to a, a ranked Utah team. And if you watch games now, all due respect to Georgia, who struggled with Mizzou, struggled with Kentucky. If you watch watched last weekend, the best team that played last weekend was USC. And granted, they only won 48-45. But they were the best team that played last weekend. Yeah, I mean... It- the thing is, is I was actually looking up trying to understand why LSU was exactly over USC in this. And they said basically kind of they haven't played as many ranked opponents or mm-hmm. haven't beaten as many ranked opponents. So I kind of get that. In my opinion, they tend to give the SEC uh, a little bit more leniency when it comes to those are things. You, are you saying that's like that's like hidden or, or no I'm saying it's open they, they don't they don't they, it's not it's obvious yeah. <laughs> there's they, not a if they can they, get two SEC teams in by yes. hook or by crook they will find a way to I mean get you two got SEC you got in. you got Georgia you got LSU Tacos. right there you got Alabama still lurking in the weeds somehow mm-hmm. at a at a nine and two ahead of Clemson I don't think and I don't think Clemson is is that great of a team I, I think they they have been historically but this year I don't think they're as good as they have been in the past but I, I'm just saying that the 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 fact that the SEC teams get that much love and and mm-hmm. and and adoration is is it's a bit annoying to me, which is part of the reason why I feel like you need to expand the playoffs and allow. But then you may have four SEC teams in, and and you know, yeah. <laughs> one from each of the other conferences, which is maddening as well. Yeah. Now the LSU lost their opener to Florida State because they didn't kick an extra point. They went for two, and they lost 24-23. They got drilled by Tennessee, but Brooke, to your point about the people that they beat, and I think what the committee probably is looking at is... That's what I meant, Tennessee, yeah. too. Sorry, I got yeah. my teams yeah. no, no up early this morning. Yeah, they hammered Florida. Uh, they Well, they, they beat them by 10. Uh, Ole Miss was number seven when they beat them 45-20. to uh, they did beat Alabama, and at the time, Alabama was number two in the country. Um, and, and then uh, the, they've still got Texas A&M and Georgia left. They, and see, that'll, that'll solve the problem, they is, had a, is LSU and, and Georgia. They had a bye week last week, too. Look at that. Yeah, they did. UAB. Uh, 
Oh, two back-to-back by weeks. UAB yeah. and Texas A&M. Wow. Oh, Amazing that the SEC allows this. <laughs> Let's give you a break mid-season, why don't we? <laughs> yeah. But, hey, come on down, UAB. Yeah, here's, here's no, no Big Ten bias in this segment. Uh, yeah. Here's what's going to change, though, is once the SEC gets rid of the, comp, the divisions and they start playing that nine-game SEC schedule and you have Texas and Oklahoma in there, I would invite any school to come in and, and try it. Yeah, it's going to be. I mean, if they, if and when they do remove the the, the divisions, I think you'll see better. You you'll have a better understanding of who the best teams are because those teams have to play each other in the championship game. There is no there's no longer going to be uh, either one one or the other. You won't have same thing with the Big Ten. I mean, with with Ohio State and we were talking to Dan Dirtoff yesterday the other day. He was saying that the best two teams are generally in the East, which is not a not a lie. He's telling the truth. So. When you get rid of those divisions and allow the best teams to finally play each other and play in the championship game, you get a true understanding of who uh, the best team of that conference is. Okay, so here's my idea, guys. Let's get rid of the UABs and the New Mexico states of the world in the non-conference schedule, the Citadels. Okay, we're going to cut back to 11 games. SEC, you're only going to play two non-conference games. That's fine. All right? So you're going to play 11 games between week zero, the week before Labor Day and Labor Day weekend, and the end of November. All right? You get 11 games. And if you want to have a conference championship game in the last weekend of December as your conference, you can. Okay, that would be in the last week of November. December 3rd, a 16-team playoff. Every single one of the 11 conference champions is in it, plus five at-larges. Go from 16 to 8 on December 3rd. Go from 8 to 4 on December 10th. All those teams that lose, by the way, in the round of 16 and the round of 8 can go to bowl games. Between Christmas and New Year's. I don't like that. Then 8-4 to four on the 17th, and then uh, your your final four can be played over uh, New Year's weekend, and then you can play January 8th, your championship game. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm not good with the teams that make the playoffs still being allowed to go to bowl games. I think that, that you won't there have are, enough good teams, though. Well, and yeah. ESPN and, and has a program. It's not enough good teams. Randy, some of these bowl games are... are Pointless. They're all programming and money-making for ESPN. <laughs> oh. And at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about yeah. here. We're talking about making money for college football, right? Yeah. I, I mean, that's I'm, what it's about. I'm with Carrie, though. It, it seems like it's just too many bowl games. There's some, like, I feel like every single year that pop up where I was like, who, what what bowl game is this? Randy, what was the longest break? If you're, if you're, if you go to the national championship, if you're one of the two teams going to the national championship, what is the longest break you get in your season? Okay, sixteen to eight on the third, eight to four on the tenth, four to two on the seventeenth, and then you could play either New Year's weekend. You could have literally the same break you have now, uh, a two or three week break. That's okay. And play that's, the championship that's one of the game better, on That's 8. one of the better ways I've seen it broken down. Then because that's I mean, listen, Deardorff put it the best. Listen, we're not going to get we're not going to put a stop to more money because if, if if there's any way to sports to get more money, it's always going to be found that way. That's why anyone who says we should contract games in the Major League mm-hmm. Baseball or, or not expand the playoffs more are crazy. Listen, the, the die has been cast. That's going to happen. So it's going to happen. Now you got to think about what is the most what is the best way to do it for the student athletes. And the first question asked in any schedule. Should be how big is how, what's the biggest break for a team that has to play the full Monty? And if you want to get rid of bowl games, players will determine whether or not bowl games survive. Yeah, because they're right? not gonna they, they they don't play in them. Right. I, I mean, even the kids like if you enter the transfer portal. Yeah. On December fifth, you can't you play for that. No. So teams are gonna be it's gonna, gonna be hard. Yeah, it's not. It's gonna be hard to practice. It's gonna be hard to play, and you know. 
the football is is the landscape of college football is changing drastically. Yeah. Well, and Matthew used the term student athletes. That's a complete misnomer Man, now. That doesn't exist. athletes. They get paid. You don't think so anymore? No, they. <laughs> you you entered the transfer portal. You aren't going to class. No, no way. No, you're done. Why would you? So you, you aren't going to do finals. You're in to play football. You should because the the credits transfer over to whatever school you're going to. But it, it, Carrie, it would make the most sense. It, but it would, but Carrie, probably not. You're a high school football coach. Randy, they, they, yeah. <laughs> okay. How, how many kids think they aren't going to be pro football players? Oh, they all believe they are. There you go. And so even more so in college, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Albert Pujols gets Comeback Player of the Year. Whether he deserved it or not is open for interpretation. But the question that we have is, what was your favorite Albert Pujols memory from his last season? And you can't include the 700th home run. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The one pitch. And they get burned. His final at bat against the Cubs. A pinch hit, two-run homer. Albert sends one out to deep right center. It's at the wall. Good. He's done it. Six ninety-seven. A two-run homer to put the Cardinals on top. He's all alone. Fourth place in home runs in Major League history. Two pitch. Albert again, left center, it is gone, he's done it again, two home runs tonight, 6-92, he's amazing, remarkable, incredible, is this real? I mean, that's what you're supposed to do with baseball, just have fun. A magical final year for Albert Pujols culminates in him winning National League Comeback Player of the Year. He obviously hit his 700th home run, wound up with 703, 18 home runs in the second half, and had his best season in more than half a decade. By the way, Justin Verlander of the Astros won the American League Comeback Player of the Year award. But Brooke asked this question last night, and I think it's a great question. What was your favorite moment of Albert's last season? And I agree with the sentiment, Brooke, but I had to throw in a qualifier. It can't be number 700 because it's too obvious. <laughs> it is It is a little too obvious. Yeah, that was the first thing you pointed out. And I think, of course, everyone is going to say that because it was absolutely amazing. Now, I wish it was at Bush Stadium, of course, but still just a really magical moment to see on Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for, for <laughs> I was going to say TV, but Apple TV. <laughs> my, my favorite moment of this year was probably the home run he hit in Pittsburgh that he allowed the lady and her family to keep. Um, that was awesome. When her finding out that her father had passed away, the number I think it was six ninety eight at the time, mm-hmm. um, right. and we were saying, well, that could be the last one. You never know. But he he was willing to allow them to keep the ball, sign a few more balls for them. Uh, it just speaks to to the character that he has, the the, the type of man that he is, um, to be able to understand that moment, what it meant for him but also understand that it meant a lot more for them in that moment. So I thought that was pretty cool. And we want to hear your mic drops throughout the morning with the 101 ESPN app. Just uh, use your own voice and tell us what your favorite Albert memory was from 2022. Guys, mine was the first one we heard there, the pinch hit home run in the eighth against the Cubs. Labor Day weekend, his last at bat against the Cubs, bottom of the eighth, Cardinals down and needed to win the game. They were still 
chasing a playoff spot at that point, and he goes yard with a no doubter. By the way, and that was uh, the uh, when he did the Superman chest yeah. thing. Yeah, that, that was awesome. My, mine is I, I was kind of like teetering back and forth a little bit with it, but honestly, what really just stuck out to me was that All Star game because I just remember remember you know the commissioner you know extended that invite to him, and a lot of people on social media was like, "Oh, come on! Like, there's yeah. people who are more deserving of this. You know, why do we want to see him in the home run derby?" But the festivities surrounding that, see, I feel like that really kind of brought new life in him because you could just see how much fun he had and all the players really appreciating him. I mean, the fans appreciating him. And then right after that, he had that fantastic second half of the season. I mean, I just felt like that was a really magical moment that sparked what we saw at the end there from Albert. I think with the with the All-Star weekend, you got to see how many young players really admired Albert Pujols. And I think for Cardinals fans, we we understand what he is and how he is. But I think when you saw how much those younger players really were just excited to be around yeah. him, to, to have that moment to share with him, it, it, it was like children watching their mm-hmm. favorite athlete growing up and being able to be in that moment. So I think that made it cool for everyone to, to be able to witness that. Guys, the other one that strikes me, and there was a lot that went into this. It was actually my birthday weekend, but it was the game in Arizona where Arenado made the, the play on the high chopper, mm-hmm. and he and Goldie were laughing about mm-hmm. it right after the play. And Albert hit two in that game. Yeah, and yeah. It was a route, but... I kind of felt when he hit the two home runs in that game, I thought, okay, he's going to get to 700. There, yeah. I spent most of the season saying, nah, nah it's not going to. He'll get to like 695, and he'll he'll quit with 695, 696. That's the night where I thought, okay, he could do this. Yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's it's just amazing just to see what he was able to do. No, I, I think when, when he came back, we were just happy. Oh, he's in the Cardinals uniform. He's going to be able to go through this season. It'll be exciting for, for the fans. But no one expected this. Mm-mm. And to be able to see this, to be able to go to the ballpark and see multiple home runs from him, just outstanding for, for Cardinals fans. And by the way, I, I do want to throw out there, because I said before the break that it was certainly arguable as to whether or not he deserved to be the comeback player of the year, because he didn't get hurt. And I think that players that are hurt are more deserving, or deserving of, comeback player of the year. And Carlos Carrasco of the Mets only made a dozen starts in 2021. He was 1-5 with a one, uh, 6.04 ERA in the games that he did start. And then he comes back this year and winds up starting 29 games with a 3.97. He goes 15 and 7. I thought Carlos Carrasco was, and he, by the way, he was coming back from cancer. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I thought Carrasco was a lock as the comeback player of the year in the National League. But good for Albert. I'm glad that he goes out with uh, some superlatives. Brooke Grimsley, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker coming up. The holiday season is starting. You might have to go to some in-laws houses for Thanksgiving this weekend, right? Well, that's why Ask Uncle Randy is coming your way. Uncle Randy is here with advice for you and whatever's going on. I'll tell you right now, if you're going to the in-laws house, you tell them the food's great. But any questions you have, it's time for Ask Uncle Randy next on 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN is your home for Blues hockey. Every month during the season, you can check out either the 101 mobile app or 101ESPN.com for your chance to get entered to win a pair of tickets to an upcoming Blues home game at Enterprise Center. New winners picked every month throughout the season for free tickets to see the Blues in action, courtesy of 101 ESPN. Get entered to win now online at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app. Driven by the Bomberito Automotive. 
Automotive Group. McBride Homes has a big announcement for St. Louis. The 2022 Bragging Rights men's basketball game between Mizzou and Illinois is coming back home. This rivalry is one of St. Louis's greatest sporting traditions, and McBride Homes is proud to be the title sponsor again this year. Plus, score big this November with McBride's biggest sale of the year, their Blue Friday sale. It's their biggest savings yet. Plus, you'll get a $5,000 Amazon gift card. McBride has 35 communities throughout the area with something for everyone. Visit McBrideHomes.com for details. A ring shimmering with three blue sapphires for the one who's never left your side. A gold necklace with a lavender gemstone for your dearest friend. A romantic diamond bracelet for a new love. At Shane Company, we create treasures for the people you treasure. With the widest selection of fine jewelry, it'll be easy to find magical holiday gifts for your family and friends. We know your gift represents your love. That's why we put so much care into everything we make. At Shane Company, our diamonds are hand-selected one by one, so they sparkle from every angle. Our gemstones shine in a full spectrum of colors, so you can choose your ideal shade. Our cultured pearls are hand-matched, so when the light hits them, they illuminate beautifully. Visit us today. We're open every day of the week. You can also set up an appointment to meet with a jewelry consultant in the store. We offer virtual appointments, too. This year, find true treasures for the ones you love. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business. Shane Company and ShaneCo.com. It all started with a group of cowboys who broke from the mold and wanted more. Join the ride and celebrate 30 years with the PBR Ticket Smarter Invitational. Presented by Cooper Tires, December 3rd and 4th at the Enterprise Center in St. Louis. Tickets at the box office and Ticketmaster. WXOS and WXOS HD1, East St. Louis, 101 ESPN. Powered by Chuck's Boots Superstores. The largest boot stores in the Midwest are right in your backyard, and they have it all. Come by Chuck's Boots in Fenton and St. Peter's for the biggest selection of work western uniform boots and all things motorcycle. When it comes to boots, there's only one thing you need to remember. Chuck's Boots. ESPN is everywhere. Wherever you go, we go. The 101 ESPN app in your app store or Google Play. 101 ESPN Sports Center. This is Rocky with your Sports Center update, driven by Johnny Londoff Chevrolet and Johnny Londoff Autoplex. Match day three of the World Cup is in action. One game already in. Uh, a first half of a second game almost finished up. Morocco and Croatia, the early morning game this morning, not nearly as eventful as Saudi Arabia and Argentina from yesterday, as it is a nil-nil tie in that game. Germany and Japan is in the 29th minute right now, and they are also sitting at a very exciting nil-nil tie. Later on today in match day three, it's Spain and Costa Rica, followed by the late game at 1 p.m., Belgium versus Canada. Let's go through some of your Thanksgiving watching. First of all, you do have the Blues tonight before Thanksgiving on Wednesday night here on 101 ESPN. They play at the Sabres in Buffalo, so it's going to be a little bit earlier of a pregame. 5 p.m. start here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale. So on to Thanksgiving here on 101 ESPN. You can listen to the classic Lions Thanksgiving game against the Bills. The pregame starts at 11 a.m. Giants versus Cowboys in a Thanksgiving NFC East battle. Kickoff is at 3.30 p.m. And then the late game on Thanksgiving get that extra third game. It's the Patriots versus the Vikings kickoff at 720. And then the Blues back in action on Friday, a Black Friday Blues matchup. They face off against the Lightning. That pregame starts at 6 p.m. here on 101 ESPN. That is your Sports Center update driven by Johnny Londoff. Find your roads and shop 24-7 at Londoff.com and LondoffAutoplex.com. Are you kidding me? 
You're listening to The Opening Drive on 101 ESPN with Randy Carricker and Super Bowl champion Carrie Davis on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Sumner One. You're back to The Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. ESPN. Before we get to your question, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The two later games tomorrow, the, the Bills and Lions, I will be ambivalent. But who am I rooting for in Giants-Cowboys? Anybody got any any ideas? I think you're rooting for the New York Giants. I am rooting for the New York Giants. That's good. Late game, Patriots-Vikings. Who am I rooting for? The Minnesota Vikings. There you go. I'm uh, I'm an open book. Well, you, you definitely, I mean... <laughs> You're definitely not rooting for the Patriots. I'm not. That, no, that is you're right. that is a, a, a well known thing. Yeah, and the Cowboys. And, and you and the Cowboys because Listen, of, Randy's very Randy's concerned for Mac Jones's right shoulder. That's what Randy is. He just does, doesn't. He how's that going to make a difference in the way he, he throws? He just doesn't want him to hurt that. It's it's a very delicate instrument. If he has to throw more than 15 yards down the field, he might get hurt. Randy doesn't Clearly. want that to happen. Yeah, he just hands it off. So, who do you guys think I root for when the Patriots play the Cowboys? It happened last year. I was kind of rooting for a tie. (laughs) I I never want Jerry Jones to succeed, ever. Oh, why? I'm sorry, he's the one that... I know. But I've always hated the Cowboys. Cowboys I I will say, I will say, one good thing about Jerry Jones. No, there isn't a thing. Just one. Just (laughs) one. The best media meal I've ever had is at Jerry's World. They actually did a nice full layout spread. That's the only positive. Have you been to, to, to the Cowboys Stadium? I have. It's pretty amazing, right? It's pretty amazing. <laughs> I know you don't like them. I was there for it, a it Super cool. Bowl where they sold more tickets than they had seats for. Oh. Yeah. That was Steelers versus, uh, wasn't that Steelers Packers? Yes, it was. Yes, yeah, sir. I remember that. Yeah. It was great. All right. Your questions for Ask Uncle Randy here on Thanksgiving Eve here on 101 ESPN. All right. What do we got, guys? Well, we have a lot of good Thanksgiving questions because, okay. as you know, this time of year, there's a lot of family coming in. A lot of stress sometimes, even though you're just looking to have fun and eat. Here's one for you, Randy. Dear Uncle Randy, my wife and I are hosting Thanksgiving for the first time this year. I have family driving in from two hours away, and all of her family is here. My wife is wanting to eat at three, and I am wanting to eat at one. I am not wanting my family to have to drive back late at night. I feel like three is too late for the first meal of the day. Please help me. I agree with you, and that thought process is 100% right, because, number one, it is, uh, driving a total of four hours can be tiring for yeah. somebody. But here's the other thing, you have tryptophan kicking in, right? So you eat at three, you're tired because you had turkey, and you get on the road 6, 6.30, and you have to drive a couple more hours. Yeah. One o'clock is much better. If somebody has to take a nap, yeah. allow them to take a nap. Uh, yes, I, I agree with you. I appreciate your wife's thought process. I think if everything was equal and nobody was driving a long way, I would think 3 o'clock would be good. But because of the distance that your relatives have to drive, I would say, yes, 1 o'clock is better. Happy wife, happy life, Bingo. Randy. Yeah, generally, generally, yeah. I, sometimes she has to understand. <laughs> you have to negotiate here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Sometimes you have to negotiate and and. I, here's the thing. If the family needs to take a nap, 
If you need to allow some space for those family members that have to drive, the kids will be fine. They'll they'll run around and they can sleep on the way back. But the, the adults that have to actually drive, you don't want anyone getting tired on the road home. Right. And and, and something happening because you were arguing about right. a two hour time right. difference. Let me toss this out there. Two o'clock. I was thinking oh, about that as well. In, the, in between. <laughs> right in between. <laughs> Little negotiation there. Yeah. Well, my question, follow-up question here is, how long is too long for a Thanksgiving dinner, lunch, festivity day, I guess? For the people to be at your house? Yes. I would say five hours is too long. I would say four hours is probably a good time. Three Three to four hours is a good time. The length of a football game. So if you were to start, this family started at three, mm-hmm. the Cowboys Giants kick off at 3.30. <laughs> yeah. So you can eat, yep. have your meal, game starts. You should be out of there by the time the Vikings and the and the Patriots are ready to roll. And you listen to that on 101 ESPN <laughs> on, on your, your way home. home. There yep. you go. <laughs> there you go. Ready for the next one? Ready. Okay. Brandy, my wife said she doesn't want to exchange Christmas presents this year. Is this a trap? Yes, it is. Oh. Wow, that was quick. Yeah. It, so here's the thing. Even if she says she doesn't want to exchange, that doesn't mean she doesn't want a present. So what you need to do is put some thought process, thought into the process. You need to walk around with her while you're shopping, and she, she might say, oh, that's cute. Put it in your mind, all right? You put it in your phone, even better. If she likes to watch shopping channels on TV, if she sees something, oh, that's cool. If she is going through flyers, oh, in the Target ad, oh, this is cool. Make sure that you have <laughs> something that she would like that you can get her for Christmas. Yes, it's Christmas is about giving. And if she doesn't want to exchange, you take it upon yourself Again, like you said, Brooke, happy wife, happy life. You take it upon yourself to be giving. And if she says, I didn't want to exchange gifts, you say, well, I wanted to give you something. And uh, then that's the play. That's see, how you do it. I, mm-hmm. I'm not discreet at all. I just like literally send my fiance like a text message of something or an Instagram and be like, oh, this is nice. That's what like, we that's- all want, Brooke. You're <laughs> doing it. that, you're we doing thank it right. you. <laughs> By the way, just out of curiosity, did you do that with your uh, engagement ring? Did did you send him what you no, like? No, he okay. actually did that on his own. Okay. So he did a good job. But I did have a Pinterest page, so he found Got that. It. Okay. It was public, so I kind of gave him the <laughs> yeah, message. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna move on to the next one. Now this one is for cousin Carrie. Carrie, my thirteen year old son just completed his first football season. He did great and is now determined to improve for next year. What are some exercises or drills we can do? that you have found to be the most beneficial. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Well, if you don't want him lifting weights, push-ups and sit-ups are always uh, a staple. You can you can start with push-ups. I, I would do push-ups in between each, uh, if you're watching a TV show, whenever the commercials come on. Or maybe you get a deck of cards and you and you pull those out. You can also go to some training facilities. Elite Training has a, has does a great job in Chesterfield. Uh, training athletes, they do, I, I think they, they start younger than – I think your son should be around the eighth grade. They start younger than that and work their way up all the way through college and uh, high school and college kids. So there are some great programs out here for your child to learn from, learn from some guys that are doing it, doing it at a high level and have a have a good time doing it.
I have a follow-up question with that because I, I don't think I've asked you. Do you think that there's ever like an age where it's too much to like specialize in a certain yes. sport? Thank you for asking that, Brooke. I because am so happy Because that's like a big did. topic now. You know, the, you, I yes. see all those classes the, the, and yeah, I, I am I am not a fan of – there was a stat a couple of years ago of professional athletes that were drafted. I think 80 or 90% I have to find it were drafted were two-sport athletes. Um, and then the the it got lower three sport three three sport athletes. The fact that a lot of these parents um, focal you know focus on on one sport overtraining, I think that's when the injuries come in. When you have just doing the same drills over and over and over again, the drills you do for basketball are going to be different than you do for football. Are going to be different than you do for baseball. You're working different muscles. But if I'm only doing basketball drills. 12 months out of the year, I'm overusing those same muscles, doing the same thing over and over again, and that's when the injuries occur. I do not believe that student athletes should just be focused on one sport, especially when you're sixth, seventh grade. You know, he's going to be playing baseball all year round, but he's a heck of a basketball player. He's a hell of a football player. Allow that child to have, have fun doing more than one thing. Qualifier. Unless the sport is golf, and the kid wants to play golf all the time and has a passion for it. Then yes, if, if it's a if it's a sport like that, I mean, it, it, that's not a or tennis, right? Uh, tennis. Yeah, yeah, you know, somewhere. But those those sports, I, I I'm fine. I I, I can't speak to. Mm-hmm. But when you have a child just doing football drills, he's backpedaling all day. He's yeah, a DB. Right, right. He works on nothing going forward. He does nothing different than than those drills. It's going to be difficult for him to. Stay healthy and be the best player that he can be. I feel or like, she. Yeah. I feel like the biggest thing is just having fun, too, because then yeah. you worry about them getting burnt out. Mm-hmm, right. You know, or they don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, exactly. All right. I got to find another one real quick. Sorry, I didn't have it pulled up. One second. We're good. Okay. Well, have you heard of 75 hard? I have. Okay. Yeah, Michelle right. and I started it. I did 27 hard and then quit because okay. I'm not mentally really? tough. So yeah. this one is tough because anybody who has done 75 hard knows that this is going to be a challenge this holiday season. Dear Uncle Randy, mm-hmm. what is your advice for someone who's got to do two Thanksgiving dinners while in the middle of 75 hard? Okay, one of the great things about 75 hard is that you can determine what your diet is. Now, I would suggest... And I know that the people that invented 75 Hard, um, Mr. Frisella, right? Uh, he won't appreciate this, but he's <laughs> mentally tough, and I'm not. I would suggest that a cheat day is allowed on Thanksgiving. Just make it 76 Hard. But he hard. said two dinners. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's one, one day. One day. 76, one day. 76 Hard minus one. Hey, it's Thanksgiving. It's the holiday season. Indulge. Reward yourself for what you've done so far. And get back at it the next day. I okay. think mental toughness is way overrated. Do we have time for one more? <laughs> yeah, this, this one, this one, like my jaw dropped a little bit. Okay, dear Uncle Randy, how do I tell my girlfriend's side of the family that she is pregnant? Should I wait till after Thanksgiving dinner, during dinner, or right before we get out of the car to go Black Friday shopping? Okay. I, would, I mean, oh I, man, I, I, I would suggest not during dinner, right? No. Why are you telling her That's family? That's my Thank question. You. Thank you. Why yeah. are you telling her? Why yeah. are I'm why glad we all simultaneously heard yeah. the question telling like, her? Uh, maybe, she's well, maybe she's scared. Maybe she's scared. It can't be too scared. It's her family. I mean, you you can tell you can tell your family. But she that's that's on she knows them a whole lot better than you. I that would be if she's No, you you have to take it upon yourself. You're sitting next to her, you're holding her hand. 
But here's the thing. She's the one that has to tell her family. And by the way, it's after dessert. It is not during dinner. It's <laughs> no, not it's during, not during dessert. dinner. It, 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 it's, it's so that you can make the quick and dis- not discreet, but just quick and efficient exit if necessary. All you have to do. I mean, we all have that one family member that tells everyone that talks uh, a lot. Yeah, good point. So just tell the one family member, hey, you know, just have a conversation. Just, yep. just let it slip yep. in, in conversation. And, and before you know it, and then they'll ask her. Yeah, good idea. But, I, I'll, I'll just never but, forget. I think I I guess like maybe I the reason that this was like funny to me is because I think about my family in that situation mm-hmm. because I come from like a very strict Christian family, like most of my mom's side. So I just know how scary that that would be. Yeah. Because every Thanksgiving before I got engaged was what's going on with you? What? Why aren't you engaged yet? <laughs> You're almost thirty. And then even my grandmother, like while we were cutting up the pies, was like. You're not a lesbian, are you? Like, do you have a boyfriend? And this was before I had met my fiance. So I can understand the nerves going into Thanksgiving of just, you know, something huge like that having to announce. Absolutely. So, yeah, wait until after dinner. And unless you want to, you know, you could just do some sort of a reveal. And it might be too late to come up with something creative, a creative way to tell them, you know, Um, like... Here's the thing. Okay. Go to Schnooks. Get some rolls. Okay. Okay. Not biscuits. Rolls. Rolls. Not <laughs> yeah, I was rolls. waiting for that. Different. I was waiting for that. Okay. And have her present the rolls to mom, her mom, and say, Mom, can you put these buns in the oven? There you go. Kind of like what I have. There you go. Wait, wait a and then wait she a has second. a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great question. And hey, Wendy. ultimately, at the end of the day, this is a happy thing. You are you're experiencing this miracle of bringing a life into the world. And that family, especially if you and she are serious, I would think that that family would be pretty happy that, that they have another family member. And grandparents, I, th- I think, love the idea of having a baby. Yep. Congratulations in, in to you all. Yeah, absolutely. And happy Thanksgiving. And thank you very much for all of the Ask Uncle Randy questions. And we'll be back throughout the holiday season. So if anything pops up, just feel free to send us a text. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 65780 and give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text in now to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Brooke Grimsley is here. Carrie Davis, Randy Carricker, Matthew Rocchio. And we appreciate you being with us, by the way, later on in the show. We're going to talk to Bernie Federico. We're also going to talk to Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com about what's going on in college football. And uh, David Lang has a new book out about St. Louis and our place in soccer history. And we're here till 11 today because T-Mac yesterday called in sick. T-Mac yesterday called in sick. 
long, long weekend for T-Mac, so good for him. So uh, we're going to be here till 11 o'clock. Hope he feels better. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, guys, the grounds crew at First Energy Stadium is going to be working overtime this week to get the field ready for Sunday's game after a trespasser caused some major damage to the turf. Police in Cleveland investigating a break-in at the stadium that took place early Tuesday, yesterday morning, and their working theory is that someone jumped the fence at the stadium and proceeded to drive a golf cart on the field. Take it or leave it. What that person on the golf cart did is no worse than what the Browns have done for 25 years. Nah, take <laughs> That that is, I mean, you, you take it. Is that, that is some terrible ball played there for for the last? I'm gonna you take it too. Of sadness. <laughs> it's been terrible football. It's right? been bad. I'm gonna take it. That that's a very great comparison. <laughs> well, I, I, when you said that, I wonder was it like Baker Mayfield? You know, he has those progressive commercials. Oh, yeah. Just standing outside, he lives <laughs> yeah. there. Did he hop the fence? Was he in town? Did the Panthers have a bye week? I'm yeah, trying to figure be. some things out. Yeah. You are been, a factory of sadness. May have been oh, him. Man. I saw a golf cart my rookie year. They put a golf cart in the middle of the lake. In Indianapolis. I don't know how oh, they got wow. it there. They put on like a little pad. It was one of the coaches. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. And they floated it out to the middle of the lake. <laughs> Chris Long did something <laughs> like that. We'll have to get Chris on to tell that story. I think he did it maybe to Cortland Finnegan's truck. We'll we'll, we'll get Chris on. Are talking we... about the, the, the cars in the, um, in the shipping containers? No, that was different when oh, they God, built that the house. That one is yeah. that one is one of the most legendary pranks I've ever seen yeah. in my entire life. So they, they go out of town, they leave on Saturday, and Chris hires a carpenter to build houses with no doors and no windows around. The, so there's that grass area around yeah. uh, across the street from Rams Park. So <laughs> what he did was he, he got somebody to hire a trailer. Uh-huh. They moved the cars out to that grass area across the street from Rams Park and built houses around them. Oh so you know God. how everybody comes back Genius. to a facility and all the players Try- are turning <laughs> around. So the players are got and they think their cars are stolen and then they start having the horns honk and they're coming from these houses <laughs> that have no doors and no windows. So the next day they had to have, hire a carpenter to come out Oh, oh my God! Oh my gosh! So much time and so much money, and so much fun. Yeah, right. So one other thing, and the, the thing with the trucks was, I think it was Finnegan's truck. So behind the practice fields at Rams Park, which is now the Lou Fuse Athletic Center, there is an industrial park, but there's a hill. And so what Chris did was had, I think, one of the equipment guys take Finnegan's truck and park it on the top of the hill right <laughs> next to the, uh, the the industrial park. So they're practicing, and Finnegan's saying, that looks familiar. <laughs> and we'll want to be in his, his truck. His truck is up there. <laughs> so, Randy, the... Uh the Michigan Wolverines take on the Ohio State Buckeyes this weekend in the Big Ten matchup, a historic rivalry. One of them loses, potentially doesn't make it to the playoffs. So I'm going to say the, the Michigan Wolverines lose. Take it or leave it. The Michigan, Michigan Wolverines lose to the Ohio State Buckeyes in the game this weekend, and one of these SEC teams find their way into the Final Four. Ooh. I'm going to take that Michigan loses, even though I prefer them to win. But I'm going to leave that another SEC team gets in there. I think USC's the team. LSU is in front of them right now. Yeah. But LSU has A&M, And right? Alabama is right behind them as yeah. well. But the, the LSU does, is, has a, does have A&M this weekend. If USC thumps Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's in the top 15 now, right? Um, Yes, they're 15. Uh, number 15. Yeah. So if US, I think if, if USC thumps Notre Dame, I don't think it matters what LSU does against A&M. I think USC would surpass... Uh, 
LSU. Does a two-loss SEC team get in? No. I, no. I think that would be the right. first time ever, right, right. that a yep. two-loss team has even made it to the college yeah. football playoffs. You, my, you can't keep TC Rose. My big question is, does any two-loss team get picked over TCU? That'd be terrible. It's trending in that but direction. I agree with you, Randy, but I think it's, I think it's trending <laughs> in that direction. It yeah. is trending in that direction. Uh, Randy, you're a terrible influence on our uh, t- our listeners, okay. and this t- yeah, text is a perfect example. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals take another stab at Tommy Pham for left field this offseason. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just casually going to take No, and I, I see what you did there. Yeah, I see what you did there. You're a bad example. Yeah, I'll tell you yeah. what, you better pay your fantasy uh, football dude yeah, fees right. if, yeah. you, if you're messing around with yeah. Tommy. <laughs> Okay, mine's going to be Thanksgiving theme. Also, just want to say I agree with the Ohio State. I'm going to take that. But there's no way that LSU is going to be in the college football playoffs, right? One of the final four teams. It's quite possible. I I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. We'll we'll circle back to that one. Maybe I'll have a freezing cold take. Um, My take it or leave it. Now, this is a little controversial because it's Thanksgiving. And we did that poll yesterday. We did the draft with the sides. And I was shocked to see that a lot of people didn't understand why I took mac and cheese. So take it or leave it. Mac and cheese is the best Thanksgiving side. And it needs to be at your Thanksgiving meal. I'm going to take that as long as we are all adults in the room and eating with forks. Yes, I'll take that too. Uh I love rock. <laughs> Guys, number number one and two on my big board were mac and cheese and stuffing. Uh, so you, my big board, what, what you, and then no, not biscuits, third. Uh, so yeah, mac and cheese is number one. Okay. I, got, I went to Schnooks and I got all the ingredients for our salt and smoke mac and cheese. Everybody has the recipe, right? Yep. They can make it at yes. their own homes this weekend. Good. Take it or leave it. Brooke essentially giving the Devin Hester and waving at us, complaining about people complaining about her mac and cheese pick as she has like 50% of the vote in a four I'll vote. take that. She oh, is, is kind of ridiculous. She, I think that was her way I of mean, letting us like, know that just Deion to go back Sanders over the, stepping into the, over end the, zone the, over here from the list to see where she was. There, there actually was some people who didn't understand <laughs> like mac and cheese first. Uh, Randy, take it or leave it. The Dallas Cowboys have screwed over St. Louis football far more than New England Patriots have. Oh, Ooh. I'll take that. Absolutely. I I mean, let me tell you, the reason that the football Cardinals left is because America's blanking team got a call that they didn't deserve. Kerry, you saw the call the other day. Offensive yeah. pass interference against that Oregon. That was terrible. It was one of the worst calls. Well, yeah. it was the worst call yeah. ever because it cost us a football it team. Was, it was a terrible call. Yeah. And that was before Jerry Jones even owned the franchise. I want to find whatever video editor put together that stupid like 1976 highlight film when they weren't even good and dubbed them America's team and then oh, somebody yeah. ran right. with it. And I want to find that darn video editor and promptly just, just I, you know what? There's I just, an I just, NFL I just films, have a conversation. Yeah. The, the NFL films, there's a, a time, mm-hmm. they have a show called Timeline where they explore all of that. Yeah, it's, it's they're not America's team. It's the dumbest no. moniker ever yeah, and it's yeah, stupid yeah. how they got it. They, they did that themselves. Um, Mel Gray, was that Mel Gray? With the, uh, it was Roy the, Green. Roy Green, okay. Yeah, Mel Gray had the phantom catch in 75, which yes. is awesome. Eh. But yeah, Roy, eh. Everson Walls literally came up to Roy after that game. Pat Millett. Pat Millett. R.I.P. No, he, he he's dead. He was the he was the back no, judge. No R.I.P. No, none of that. Okay. No, no peace for him. Randy, I want to get two more. He cost us our team, but I just want to say that Everson Walls literally came up to Roy after the game and said, "Man, I'm really sorry. I I know that wasn't OPI, and you guys got screwed." 
I got one here for Carrie and one here for Randy. Take it or yeah. leave it. High school football is starting to die. I want to I hear um, Carrie's take on that. I will say that... <laughs> I will say... <laughs> And sometimes I try to be careful what I say, but yeah, you know what the hell with it. I will say that You're steward of the game. There have been there have been talks or or consideration. The reason that I think people are saying that it's dying is because some of the things that these private schools, how how the the athletes that they get, CBC and Dismid, and you know some of these other programs, the state championship. I mean, congratulations! But some of those kids live right across the street from Hazelwood Central. So, with that being said. Some of the public schools are not able to compete at a level. And I'm not making excuses. You know, you still got to go do what you got to do. But when you have some of your some of the best players and other teams, and it's not just in North County. I've talked to coaches in, in Eureka that have players that have left and gone to other programs. So, you know, it's it's um, it definitely takes away the competitive balance because when I was in high school, the Suburban North was the elite class of football in the state of Missouri, mm-hmm. and it no longer exists because of some other factors. So, hmm. and then, so are you taking it? Yeah, I'm taking it every day. And, and then take it or leave it. French silt pie over pumpkin pie. Oh, guys, what do you think? Listen, I don't even need to say. Take, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. What? French silk over pumpkin. Did you like the French, French silk pie this morning? Oh yeah, it's over good, but pie. I like pumpkin pie a lot. Oh. I'm, not a, I'm not a pumpkin pie fan. I'm more of a sweet yes. potato pie kind of guy. But that silk French silk pie that we just tasted was pretty damn special, Randy. I made the French silk pie for the team. Oh, taking care of my guys. Yeah, guys. appreciate yeah. it. Yep, mm. I want to. Very good. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks very much for your text. Boy, that was a long Tioli. Uh, next up, <laughs> we want more of your reacts to Albert, winning Comeback Player of the Year. But we want your favorite Albert moments from 2022, minus number 700. I think that was everybody's favorite moment. But what, what was your favorite moment that wasn't his 700th home run? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take. Brought to you by Schnooks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnooks. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Brooke, Carrie, Randy, Matthew, and you. Okay, your favorite Albert Pujols memories from 2022 minus number 700. Mike drops with the 101 ESPN app and, of course, text 65780. Steve, what do you got for us here on 101 ESPN? My favorite Albert Pujols memory was a Sunday afternoon against the Milwaukee Brewers. I don't remember the date. I think it was September. He hit two home runs, and all three of my kids were there who were either babies or not born when Albert Pujols was around the first time so my oldest son gives me a little high five my middle son said oh man this is so cool and I went to my nine-year-old daughter and I said isn't that great honey you got to see Albert Pujols hit two home runs and she was just eating her popcorn and just looked at me and said who would name their kid Poop Hole? <laughs> anyway, that was awesome. Those are the best unforgettable moments. That is just so cool. Oh my gosh, that's great. That that was a uh, six eighty nine is what it looks like. August fourteenth yeah. is what he was referencing. I was, I was at that game. 
So I, that was a that was I was there with my with my son and and fiance and my and his friend and uh, it was a good game. We, everybody was having a good time. Yeah. Steve, great stuff. Let's go to John next on 101 ESPN. My favorite Albert Pujols moment, and luckily we were we got to see several of them this year, was the night that Adam Wainwright went nine innings and uh, Dickerson missed the ball in right field. Albert Pujols came up to bat as a pinch hitter. And he didn't hit a home run. He, in fact, he didn't even get a hit. He struck out. But the crowd reaction with every pitch and every strike, the crescendo that it went up to and then went back down was so amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, the the expectations, and it was like 2009 again. It was the expectations when he stepped up to the plate in the second half of the season, did any of us, when he stepped up, not expect him to hit a home run? I, I almost felt like 700 had to happen on the road because it was it was when it happened in LA. <laughs> it was it was a normal when I say normal, a normal game for for Albert and the Cardinals. Anytime he stepped up to the plate in St. Louis, the crowd was going crazy. It mm-hmm. felt like playoffs, you know, every single time he was up there, and and that was probably. The most amazing part of it, just the journey to 700, just watching each and every at bat, how the fans got so excited right. and, and so into every time he was on deck and ready to come up, he was, even if he was pinch hitting or, you know, whatever. When they knew his time was coming up, everybody was in their seats, you know, once not at the concession the stand, yeah, and, and then standing yep. up and ready to watch. So I, it felt like 700 had, had to happen away from Bush Stadium because it, it may not have ever taken place because it was just so much energy in that stadium each time. Yeah, Brooke, I just got a tweet from Alan Best who sent a photo with this caption, Albert Wayno and Yachty walking off the field together was by far my favorite Pujols five moment of the year. I'll never forget it. Well-deserved. Congratulations, Albert. Yeah, that photo of those three walking off together is incredible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. That was one of the ones that I mentioned last night when we were just, I felt like we were just going back and forth with all the different memories Mm -hmm. because there's so many, but just seeing them walk away together like that was just so iconic. And just really special to see Yachty and, you know, Albert and then even Wayno, even though we know it wasn't Wayno's last season, just seeing them together walking away like that and the crowd, everything. I Here's the thing. I, I, I'm i glad that it did happen on the road, as you mentioned, but also in the back of my mind, I would have loved to have seen just the wild celebration yeah. in yeah. St. Louis yeah. if 700 oh, happened here. It would have been bananas. It would have been it would have been. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. A party yeah. all night. <laughs> We're going to do more of this at 945. We're with you until 11 today. But I do want to get one more mic drop from Joey, who joins us here on the opening drive. Hey, guys. My favorite Albert Pujols moment from this year was a game against the Cubs at Bush Stadium. It was early September, Labor Day weekend, I believe. We were on vacation in Florida, and we were on a boat and the boat happened to have a TV on there, so I asked them, is there any way we can get the Cardinal Cub game on there? Luckily, they had the MLB.TV logged into it, so we were able to watch the game, nothing, nothing, bottom of the ninth, and I said, man, I don't know what it is, but I got a feeling Albert is just gonna hit one right here. Very next pitch, boom, out of the stadium, game over, Cardinals win. Yeah, he had that, his Danny but, Mac moment right there. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> that, that was awesome. By the way, one other one that I want to get here on the text line, 65780. 
My favorite Albert moment is probably him swinging at a fastball neck high for a homer in Chicago. <laughs> and I think it was the second highest pitch that somebody hit for a homer of the year. Yeah. And he hit it out of the ballpark. And I remember first glance, how did he hit that neck high? It really was incredible. He had an amazing final year. And we want more of your mic drops, more of your text. We'll have more of uh, those discussions coming up at 9.45. But next up, we're going to talk some blues. They take on the Sabres tonight and then Tampa Bay on Friday. And our friend, the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, joins us next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. With Channel 4's Brooke Grimsley and Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis, I'm Randy Carricker, and it's great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line anytime. Bernie Federico is standing by on the other end. Bernard, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. How are you doing? It's turkey time. Nice weather. How could it not be good? It's fabulous. <laughs> hey, we want to start with this because we had our Thanksgiving sides draft yesterday. So we're leaving turkey and ham out of this. Bernie Federico's number one draft choice as a Thanksgiving side. I would say mashed potatoes and gravy. Okay. I, I got both of those, so I'm doing well. You, you would vote for me. <laughs> no mac and cheese, Bernie? No, you know what? I'm pretty traditional with it. I'm, and I'm not a stuffing person or oh. dressing. Yeah, what? I don't really like it. No, I'm oh. not. So I, just, I don't know. My heart hurts. <laughs> <laughs> we had such a good thing going here. <laughs> hey, Bernie, we uh, Tarasenko is hopefully uh, able to play tonight, and and but they've been playing well uh, without him. What do you see him fitting back in, and and how much can he help this team? offensively if he's doing what we know he's able to do he's a game breaker just like Jordan Cairo is I mean and with Vladdy has, has been a consistent 30 plus goal scorer in the league so uh, anytime you have a guy like that in the in the lineup he's obviously going to make your uh, offense much more dangerous so uh, yeah you know the Blues have really been able to really adjust whenever they've had somebody key out of these lineup and with Vladdy out they've been able to adjust but anytime you get your full lineup and you've got a guy like Vladdy and it makes, certainly makes you a much better hockey club is it is it difficult to find? Well, I mean, he his game speaks for himself. But when they're playing as well as they are, is it difficult to 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 stick him back into the lineup and find the the correct line for him to be on? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's always room for a guy like that. I mean, obviously, when Vladdy's playing at his best, I mean, he's going to be uh, a difference maker out there, and whether it be on the power play or, or whatever. I mean, Vladdy right now, in my opinion, has not played. Uh, as well as is he, had, he he started the season, I thought, playing very well. But I think he's got to get in a position where he starts shooting the puck a little more. He needs to start scoring some goals. He's been getting some points in this and that, uh, mostly on the power play. But I, I think he's the one guy that's got to get back more involved and go to the front of the net and, and uh, you know, start scoring some goals again. But, I mean, you want a guy like him in your lineup all the time. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, there is... Lots of depth in this hockey club. You, you certainly want to. There's always room for one of your best players on a, on a hockey club. 
Bernie, defensively, what have you seen kind of change for the Blues here? I mean, especially one player that has stuck out to me recently is Nico Mikola. It looks like that he's really jumped in his minutes, and I know that has a lot to do with Colton Pareko. But also, Justin Falk really seems to be leading the group. I mean, I just think about that that game the other day. He prevented a goal and then went on the other side and, you know, got that goal for the Blues. I mean, what what do you see from this group and those two players? Well, Brooke, I think that I said it last year. I, I talked about it all, all season last last year. I thought that uh, Justin Falk was the Blues' most consistent, best player all season long. Um, uh, you know, we all knew that he was a really good player when he was in Carolina. We didn't really see much of Carolina, though. But we knew, and, and you know, his reputation was there. And, and obviously, the first year was kind of adjustment for him. Uh, adjusting, you know, with Petrangelo gone, he kind of was the guy that come in to fill out, fill in for him. And uh, you know, since then, I think he's become really an integral part of the hockey club. I mean, he's uh, both sides of the ice, as you mentioned. I mean, defensively, he's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, he was always more involved in the offense in Carolina than here, and I think that now he's taken it upon himself, and I think the, the, the adjustments that he's made and the team, uh, really the coaching staff for him to get more involved in the offense has, has made it uh, you know, much more um, you know, prominent now. But uh, I can't say enough about Justin. I think he's, he, he still is uh, the best Blues player, uh, you know, defenseman that they have. And he's been the most consistent. Uh, for for Mikola, yes. I mean, I think that he's got the opportunity. Nico is uh, is is young still. He's he's still learning his ways. But with the injuries the Blues have had, uh, Nico's been called on a, a little more. He's a big guy. He's aggressive, and he's really fit fit the role that they need. I mean, they need to have big defensemen on this team. They need to have guys that are more aggressive and and clear the front of the net. And Nico is has really got that opportunity and he's really rewarding himself with the, the, the extra ice time that the chief is giving him because he's, he's played better. So, I mean, these are the young kids that you look for to, to, to fill time. And, and, and Nico has certainly done that. And, and I think you talk about too, the defense that the blues are always going to count on now. Bernie Federico with us on 101 ESPN. And Bernie, I want to put your coach's hat on. Kerry Davis is a coach, and I know coaches are always looking for a coaching moment. But the Blues have won seven in a row, and they've been really successful and played a lot of good hockey. So if you're chief yesterday in practice, what are you telling your team they have to get better at? They have to be more consistent with for 60 minutes. I mean, there were parts of the game there, Randy, uh, the other night on Monday that, that uh, you know, it's the Ducks. It's not that you're not playing against the the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, you can't take uh, shifts off or time off, and, uh, and still the Ducks still had way too many scoring chances in that game on Monday, and, and I think that's the whole thing. I mean, you've got to be uh, more consistent for for sixty minutes, and I think that's the Chiefs will be preaching that is that even though they won the game, I mean, they barely won a game against the team they're supposed to beat. So uh, tonight will be the same thing. It's, it's the Buffalo Sabers. The Sabers had lost eight in a row until what last night they finally won a game in Montreal. So they're going to be feeling a little more confident um, coming into tonight's game, and, and certainly they're going to want to do it in front of their their home crowd. So the Blues are going to have to be, you know, much more intense. But I, I would say that the preach preaching would be to make sure that they play a full sixty minute game. Uh, the the offense is coming and it's there right now, but they're going to be stronger defensively, and certainly they've got to help the goaltenders a lot more. Hey, Bernie, we were talking about Barubi yesterday and how coaches are never satisfied. So my question for you is, as a player, had you ever had a moment where your coaches, you thought you played a good game and you came into the film room and realized, oh, coach is steaming right now. He, he's not happy with what I did yesterday uh, and I got to do better. Because, And I asked that because when I, when I would watch 
uh, our coach Bruce Arians get mad at Hines Ward. He wouldn't yell at Hines. He would yell at Nate Washington, the, the third receiver on the team. <laughs> he would never yell at Hines, a future Hall of Famer. So you being the Hall of Famer, did the coach ever get on you or did he did he pass the message to someone else so that they can give it to you? <laughs> well, I think that happened probably both ways. I mean, certainly uh, the coaches – Yes, I mean they're always never satisfied. I mean that's that's the job of being a coach. You've got to be. Uh, I think the only time you're satisfied as a coach is when you win the last game of the year, which is the, the whatever championship you're winning, yep. and then you're you're happy for a little bit, and then you, you got to start over because <laughs> you got a job to do. But no, uh, the coaches do it different ways. Yes, I've been certainly have come into the room thinking that I played a good game and and got belittled by the coach. Yeah, I think that's happened to everybody. And and yes, the coach has done. The, you know, when you're in a certain status position on a team, <laughs> sometimes you're, you're going to get a, a, a free pass and somebody else is going to get yelled at instead of you. But, you know, in, in hindsight, it's really you, not not the, the other guy that's getting yelled at. So, yeah, that has happened. And, and certainly that will always continue to happen. But uh, <laughs> uh, that 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 is the job of, of, of a coach. And, and uh, I respect that very, very much. But uh, we didn't really have a lot of film rooms in our day. Uh, <laughs> really, we, we didn't have a lot of videos. So it was good that we didn't have to watch a lot of stuff. If they were yelling, they were just yelling for a purpose. Bernie, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they put you in the press box one night to send a message to everybody else? Uh, yes, it did. It happened uh, against, uh, we were playing the Washington Capitals. I mean, it was back with Shock to Burr's days. Yes, uh, I, I don't know who I took the fall for, but I took the fall for something. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you, were play, you were fine. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was quite shocked, but uh, it was, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do it. We'll have to do it some segment. Hey, before we let you go, Bernie, and uh, you, you had a Hall of Fame career. You were great, and I, I'm sure that there are some things you watched today and you say, "Man, I wish I was playing." But you would not want to play against a guy like Tage Thompson, who's six six and two twenty, and playing great and using that size and strength right now. The former Blue, and heck, we benefited from the the Brett Hall trade, so we, we, we've got nothing to complain about here with, with trading away a good young player. But what a monster he's turning out to be. Yeah, and really, and I think we're all happy for that. I mean, I think that the, when you see trades being made, I mean, Tate Thompson, part of the, the Ryan O'Reilly deal, and, and Ryan was a big, big part of, of, of the Blues' success, obviously one of the main reasons that the Blues were able to win a cup. And I think when you make trades, I think both uh, sides are supposed to benefit. And, and certainly the Blues got their benefit with Ryan. And, and now I think Tate is starting to pay some dividends. He's a big kid, and, and uh, I think we all wish him the best because he's a real nice kid. And, and he's got all the skills, and, and right now he's showing that. And yes, when you got that kind of size, and you use that size, and and you use the the, the you know the uh, cerebral ability that he has too when he's thinking the game out there, I think that's what it's all about. And and let's hope uh, for I mean I, for Buffalo's sake, let's hope that Tage continues to develop. I mean, uh, Tage has the size as, as a, of a Mario Lemieux did, and we all know what Mario did. You know, one of the greatest players of all time. So is is Tage going to be able to do that? Who knows? But uh, I think that we're all pretty happy that that, that we can. Uh, see and watch him and develop into what he's done. And uh, let's just hope that he doesn't do that tonight, though, against the Blues. I think that's no, a little bit to look at. No doubt. Bernie Federico, we'll see you on Valley Sports. Have a great Thanksgiving to uh, your and your family. Thanks so much for the time and have a great weekend. Thanks, Thanksgiving, and I will have the mashed potatoes, though, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Real good. Yeah. All right, you guys, take care. I, I get the Bernie Federko vote. Oh, man. I'm happy about that. <laughs> what What is it with hockey players and mashed potatoes? That's my question. Interesting, yeah, good thought. Mm. Robert Thomas was a garlic mashed potatoes guy, too. Well, Meat potatoes kind of sport.
Ah, I see what you did there. Okay. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, you ask some football players, I bet you they're going to be like, where's the corn on the cob? You know, get some corn-fed boys. <laughs> are they? We are, I'm, I'm going with dressing and mac and cheese to start off any... Any plate that I have. Ask, yeah. I guarantee yeah. you at least three of your offensive linemen from Illinois are answering, where's the corn on the cob? Nah, maybe. Nah, yeah, maybe. Enjoy that dressing without gravy. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Coming up next, it's the fight on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight in the red corner. Average Joe. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive, please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to the Opening Drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Brooke Grimsley and Matthew Rocchio, and we have a returning fighter, Greg. You won yesterday, Greg. How are you doing? He, well, hold on a second. He didn't just win. He won four. Oh, three. you did. You he, won. He got the jack against hey, Randy. Let me start. It is time for the fight, and we have a returning fighter. And Greg, Greg, how are you feeling this morning? Me up like that, guys. It's going to go way downhill. Uh, <laughs> well, you said yesterday you go four for four. If you go zero for four today, you're still five hundred. So you're, you're you're still in the game. That, that five hundred. I'll take five hundred all the time. <laughs> all, right, all right, you ready to roll? Let's go. Uh, don't sound so excited. <laughs> All right, Greg. Who is the only Cardinals non-pitcher to win NL Comeback Player? Who is the only other Cardinals non-pitcher to win NL Comeback Player of the Year award? Is it Lance Berkman, Reggie Sanders, or Larry Walker? Larry Walker. On this day in 1989, a very special edition of the Cowboys Thanksgiving game played out when the Eagles stomped them 27 to nothing, and Jimmy Johnson accused Buddy Ryan of putting bounties on two players, quarterback Troy Aikman and who else? And then I'll give you the options. You have Luis Zendejas and James Dixon or Paul Palmer. Say those again, Brooke. Luis Zendejas, James Dixon, or Paul Palmer? Zendejas. And good luck to superfluous age Johnny Peralta in the 2023 Hall of Fame voting. Jahani finished in the top 15 in MVP in 2014, one of three Cardinals to finish in the top 15 that season. Matt Holiday finished one slot above Mr. Jahani. Which Cardinal pitcher finished in the top 10 of that year's MVP voting? Was that Lance Lynn, Michael Waka, or Adam Wainwright? Um, let's go. Not Wayno, Vance Plan or Walker. Let's go. Let's go Walker. All right, Greg. Today's four-game World Cup slate features the runner-up from 2018 losing to France. Which team was it? Was it Germany, Croatia, or Spain? Croatia. All right, let's double check the scores here. All right, Greg, how you feeling? Just as just as bad as <laughs> well. You felt bad yesterday, and it went really well for you. Yeah, it did. So maybe today is is some of the same. 
if you if you don't have high expectations and you go above them, then guess what? Then you're never disappointed. As you say, uh, <laughs> under promise like and over deliver. I, I'm I am definitely for that. Randy, say hello to Greg again. Greg, good morning. How you doing? How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. Absolutely. Hope you guys have a good Thanksgiving. Uh, you too. You Thank as well. you. Hopefully nice you you're eating mac and cheese yeah. and dressing and yeah. not mashed potatoes at your first sight. But yeah, right. here we go. All right, Randy, you ready? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who is the only other Cardinals non-pitcher to win NL Comeback Player of the Year? Lant? Yes. <sighs> it was Lance Berkman. I, I knew that. Nice to have somebody else screwed up. God, don't you? <laughs> it wasn't. You can give me the other ones if you want. I'll just use that you as use my that lifeline. Yeah, Lance sure. Bergman, Reggie Sanders, or Larry Walker. I'll go with Lance Bergman, Karen. All righty. That's a good choice, I guess, sir. All right. On this day in 1989, a very special edition of the Cowboys Thanksgiving game played out when the Eagles stomped them 27 to nothing. And Jimmy Johnson accused Buddy Ryan of putting bounties on two players. Quarterback Troy Aikman and who else? Eighty nine. That would have been Troy's rookie year. Um. Okay, so Emmett wasn't there yet either. Eighty nine. I. I guess I'll go Michael Irvin. Good luck to superfluous H. Jahani Peralta in the 2023 Hall of Fame voting. (laughs) Jahani finished in the top 15 in the MVP voting in 2014. One of three Cardinals to finish in the top 15 that season. What year? 2014. Okay. Matt Holiday finished one slot above Johnny. Which Cardinal pitcher finished in the top 10? 2014, I believe Wayno won 22 that year, so I will go with Adam Wainwright. All right. Today's four-game World Cup slate features the runner-up from 2018 losing to France. Which team was it? I'm going to go with my World Cup expertise. This team is playing France, or they were the runner-up to France? They were the runner-up to France. They are playing today. today. Total coin flip. Oh, not a coin flip because Argentina already played. I will go with Brazil. All right, we have a tie today. Two-two right. tie between Randy and Greg. So rules here. Obviously, I will say the question. Randy will write down his answer. Greg, you will then give us your answer after a moment when Randy gets to write his. Randy will then say his answer out loud, and then it's whoever's closest to the pin wins this fight. Greg, do you understand the rules? Let's do it. All right, we've been talking a lot about the 2018-19 Blues with the current year's roller coaster of streaks. So my question here is. What was the 2018-2019 Stanley Cup champion Blues' longest winning streak in the regular season that year? What was the 2018-2019 Blues' longest winning streak in the regular season that year? Randy has his answer. Greg, what is yours? Uh, 11. <laughs> I, hate, I, hate it. I hate it when this happens. Randy and... Randy, what was your guess? 11. Your guess was also 11, which means you were both correct, which Mm. means you both uh, were prepared and and had that question. So here's the thing. I have another tiebreaker question prepared here. Let's do it. It's just 
I have to get to, I have to get to it because it's on a different piece of paper because I wasn't expecting you guys to both absolutely just ring the bell. Well, it's pretty obvious on actually. that one. Well, he's, <laughs> he came back again today. You should have known that. I mean, okay, he's a serious competitor. I'm ready, I'm ready for this one. Okay, so the Warriors the other day won their first ever their first road season of the entire season, and road in game. that game, yep, they set game. the record for the most three pointers ever hit in one game by three players. How many three pointers was that? In their first road game in the se- road win of the season, they set the record for ha- the combined amount of three pointers in one game from three players. How many three pointers was that? Randy Carricker has his guess. Greg, what is your guess? Let's go. My birthday's tomorrow. Let's go 24. Greg guesses 24. Randy, your guess is 31. All right, we have a winner. In this fight, it took to, it came down to a second extra question. Is Greg going into the weekend with two rounds in and coming back after a holiday playing for a Hall of Fame spot, or does Randy Carricker walk into the weekend, into a long weekend, still a champion? Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. The fight is driven by Mobile On The Run. Join the On The Run STL Wash Club for a limited time offer of $5 a month. Download the app today. Congratulations, Greg. You have beat Randy with a second tiebreaker question. The answer to that one was 23. Greg guessed 24. Randy guessed 31. So closer to the pin, Greg gets that one. Greg, you win round two. You will be coming back after a long weekend for your shot at the Hall of Fame on Monday. By the way, what's the record for four players to get three-pointers for one team in an NBA game? I'm not sure. I haven't looked that one up. Greg, I need to know, like, who are you? What do you do? I mean, this is Uh. amazing. I have a Superman cape on the last one. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations, Greg. Thank you so much for playing. Thank you so much for winning. We're going to be talking to you again on Monday, and uh, we'll go through those answers right now. It was Lance Berkman, who won the 2011 NL Comeback Player of the Year Award. It was kicker Luis Zendejas, former oh, Eagle, right. who they put the other bounty out on in that game that was become the Bounty Bowl. Adam Wainwright did finish top 10 in the voting in 2014, and it was Croatia who lost to France in the World Cup final in 2018. Of course, it was an 11-game win streak, which apparently everybody knows. And then 23 <laughs> was the record for the three-pointers by three players. Thank you so much for playing, Greg. We'll talk to you on Monday. Uh, Let's go. Have a good weekend. Have a good holiday. You too, Greg. Thanks. Yeah, congrats, Greg. Good to be with us. I'm one of one ESPN. It is, it is a terrible moment for me here because I feel like had you not taken the lifeline on that first one, yep. you'd have taken it. So now, Rock, I know exactly how you feel when you, when, 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 when we, it, <laughs> we're in this together now. So now we got to wait till Monday and hope that Greg does not become a Hall of Famer <laughs> on our watch because, well, on my watch because I clearly. I can't uh, remember the crew chief, but our ass is in the, jack- <laughs> our ass is in the jackpot on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next, a lot going on in college football. Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com on the college football playoff and some coaching rumors next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With 
Channel 4's Brooke Grimsley and Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. One guy across the state that's very happy that the Blues have a seven-game winning streak is CBSSports.com college football insider Dennis Dodd, who joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, Mr. Dodd. How are you doing? I am great. Uh, I am thankful this holiday season that the Blues are no longer looking up at the Arizona Coyotes. So all is good. <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty. That was pretty rough there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it was. So hey, let's start with this, and uh, we we want to dive in. But uh, first things first. I said this morning on the show that I think if you're an unbeaten Power 5 conference champion, that unless there are four other unbeaten Power 5 conference champions, that you should be in the playoff. What do you think of TCU? Yeah, which there won't be four undefeated conference champions, so we already know that. Um, if TCU wins out, they're in. Uh, no undefeated conference champion has been left out. In fact, uh, the last to be left out was an undefeated SEC champion, Auburn, in 2004. And at that moment, Mike Slide, the former commissioner, made it his life's work to start working on a playoffs. So it seems like this would be included in the SEC champion. So TCU controls his own destiny. Talking about coaching rumors, I think the Lane Kiffin saga has really just taken over social media with that local reporter in Mississippi supposedly breaking the news that Lane Kiffin will be going to Auburn. What are you hearing about that? And also, I kind of hope for that local reporter's sake that he's <laughs> that he's correct about that because, I mean, that's a career ruiner right there. Well, he's, uh, Lane Kiffin could make him wrong by accepting the job on Saturday or Sunday. Monday. <laughs> yeah. the, guy said it would be, the guy said it would be Friday. I wouldn't put it past Lane to do something like that. He's the number one target at uh, at Auburn. Um, whether that comes about, you know, we'll see. It looks like it is, but look, he's going to get paid either way. He's at one of the high points of his career. His agent is super agent Jimmy Sexton, and the money they're talking about um, from either Ole Miss or Auburn is, uh, you know, seven years as much as eighty-four million dollars. Uh, I don't think he's going to get one of those ten-year deals, but he might. Uh, I think he's an accomplished coach. He's, he's fun to follow on Twitter. His dog is fun to follow on Twitter, Juice. So, uh, you know, this, uh, and the other thing is, he's only seven openings right now. Auburn is clearly the best opening, warts and all. Even with the meddling, even with the boosters, it is a better job than Ole Miss. Is Ole Miss a more comfortable job? Absolutely. Uh, they could build a statue with him winning nine games or eight games every year there. So, uh, in fact, he's, he's won, nine, what is it, 18 in two years. That's the third most in a two-year span in the school's history. Hey, Dennis, uh, you talked about Auburn being one of the openings, and, and there are seven other jobs. Are there any other openings that you believe will come about here in the next couple of weeks? And, and which coaches do you think are, are um, in prime position for those openings? There's going to be a bunch of group of five uh, openings, um, not, it was 31 last year, 31 job changes. We're not going to have that many this year, just because in the last three years coming into this season, guys, there have been 72 job changes. I think 69 schools change coaches because some change twice in that span. Uh, I think it's really interesting to watch Colorado because I think the former Missouri uh, defensive coordinator Ryan Walters is going to get that. Uh, the North, he's on Northwestern D.C. right now. But 
they're all over the place and not necessarily in a bad way. They're, they talked to Deion Sanders, supposedly. He said, it's too cold there. I don't want to go out west. And they circled back on him, still trying to get him to the side. Bronco Mendenhall, the former Virginia and BYU coach, is involved. Uh, Gary Patterson supposedly is involved. He wants to get back in. Barry Odom desperately wants to get back in. Watch him at, uh, at Tulsa if they make a move, which it looks like they're going to do. So it, it's not going to be premier jobs. The jobs you see right now are probably the premier openings um, because the likes of Stanford isn't going to pull the trigger. I'm at Texas A&M right now working on a story. They're not going to do anything in Jimbo. Um, so it's what, what you see right now, the biggest ones. Hey, Dennis, you mentioned Deion Sanders. Could you see him getting into a power, power five position this year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's interviewed He's interviewed several times with several schools. Uh, I did a story earlier this year. Uh, he interviewed at Arkansas before they hired Sam Pittman. And the, the AD did Hunter Juracek, um, who will be bringing his team to Missouri, obviously, this weekend. He gave Dion a courtesy interview at the time, because Eric Musselman shared the same representation as Dion. He was so impressed with Dion as a coach and as a person, he flew down to Texas, to Dallas, where Dion lived, with his number two, and interviewed him again. Now, it didn't work out, but he told me, and it's for publication, that this guy absolutely is a power five coach, and he's always said publicly that he he would have to entertain offers. So I think Dion Sanders... As a coach, we are, we all know everything else about Deion Sanders, but as a coach, I think he's, he's frankly underrated. He's going to have a job. Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com with us on 101 ESPN. I want to touch on Nebraska as well because, as you reported, several sources of yours suggested that Matt Rule turned down the Nebraska job. And you also report that Lance Leopold will be one of their targets. But is that uh, – uh, obviously, it's, it's a – Power five job, so it's sought after. But is that cons- still considered a really, really good job? It's it's not. Potentially, it is. I mean, in this hiring cycle, yeah, it's probably right behind Auburn. Um, but I was there earlier this year for the Oklahoma game in the aftermath of the Scott Frost hiring, and just looking at the product on the field, there's miles to go before they are, are able to compete at a level that they. Um, that they want, you know, baby steps. They just take a bowl, a bowl right now. Um, but they've got to get talent in there. And think about this, guys. It, it, right now, you can say, oh, yeah, all they need to do is split with Iowa and Wisconsin and the Big Ten West, and they got a chance to go to the Big Ten Championship game. Not so fast. Every conference in FBS is going to go to this one division thing for better access to an expanded playoff. So now who are you competing against mm-hmm. to get uh, to play for the Big Ten Championship? Penn State? Ohio State and Michigan. So, yeah, I don't know where they turn. Uh, Lance Leopold is out. He got extended. Kalen DeBoer is out. He got extended. The coach at Washington. And Matt Rule has turned them down, and they sit out all of 2023 to look around. I don't know where they turn right now. It's going to be really interesting. We were talking about earlier uh, the college football playoff rankings with LSU ahead of USC. What are your thoughts on that with LSU being above them right now? Yeah, I thought that was the biggest development last night. The committee is telling us that if LSU beats Georgia, they're going to be two SEC teams. In. I mean, they're poised right there. And I like to, I, at the moment they beat Alabama and went 7-2, and 
I said and wrote that LSU can now see a path to not only uh, the SEC title, but a CFP berth, but a national championship. Not saying it'll happen, but there's a path. I mean, you wind your way through that, you beat Alabama and Georgia, you know, the overarching number one on really a, 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 in a road game in Atlanta in the SEC championship game. I don't think you can keep a two-loss LSU out, and that's what the committee was saying. And they won't drop Georgia out of the top four unless it's some sort of blowout, which is really hard to see on on LSU's part. But that's what they were telling us. The, the next big, biggest beneficiary is, uh, I think, USC. If they went out, they're in. Hey, Dennis, I feel like the FCS does a really good job with their playoffs. The, the top 24 teams make it in. Um, if college football, if FBS does decide, and when they do decide to to make that transition to more teams, how many teams do you see uh, becoming that, that, that final eight, final 16? How many teams do you think it could be? Oh, it's going to be 12. That's been decided upon. That's a done deal. The logistics are being figured out. Um, the money, head-to-head with the NFL, that's one of the biggest – that's one of the biggest things. You know, the NFL is so ubiquitous that it now plays on Thursday. It plays on Monday. It has 18-week season. Um, it has an extra la- layer of wild card. And they're doing all they can to avoid having to go head-to-head with NFL because that's the ratings dealer. Um, the other thing is the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl wants to keep its traditional January 1st spot after the parade, 5 o'clock Eastern. Well, the problem with that is the Rose Bowl – does not have much leverage. It was diminished the moment uh, USC and UCLA went to the Big Ten uh, because it's in games that it doesn't play in the playoff, in a quarterfinal or semifinal, you're going to have second and third place teams from, uh, you know, from a diminished Big tw- uh, Pac-12, obviously, we know now, and the Big Ten. So it's going to be very desirable. And that spot in the TV universe is money. So I think the CFP people want to keep that open to whatever they have slotted there for playoff games. Hey, Dennis, we got word early in the season that UCLA and USC were moving to the Big Ten. Is that yeah. still a lock, a lot going on, with, apparently, with UCLA, right? Uh, yeah, the regents, the, the Cal system regents have kissed the can, and they will meet again December 14th. Everybody I talk to thinks this is just a political football that's being played out and that uh, eventually UCLA will end up having to cut Cal a check because they got left behind in a devalued Pac-12, as I mentioned, on an annual basis from that monster Big Ten money, which is about $75 million per year. But on the off chance that UCLA is forced to stay in the Pac-12, think of this scenario. I, this was strongly suggested to me by a person of influence. If, if the Big Ten isn't able to fulfill its contract to CBS, NBC and Fox and lose UCLA, they're not going to sit still. They're going to go get Oregon, Washington, maybe more, because they have content in a contract that they promised to those networks that they have to deliver on. Wow. So in that scenario, I could see the Big Ten essentially collapsing the past 12 to get that contract done. Amazing. Hey, one last thing before we let you go. You mentioned that you're at A&M. I'm wondering, and you can tell us, and by the way, we advise everybody to check out the story that you write about that situation, but with the $86 million buyout due Jimbo, do you think that that will cause teams to think twice about giving out these 10-year, $95 million contracts? Well, so far, the answer to that is no. I mean, it's not only the the money he's owed, it's that it's all guaranteed. Um, You know, and he was was a guy that David was leveraging him to LSU at the time. 
Um, the other situations at Michigan State where uh, Mel Tucker is, I think, four games over his 500 in his career, and he's got that 10-year deal with $95 million, and you wonder where it will stop. Um, the, these agents are running that, that part of the game right now, and they almost create a false market. I mean, would I'm trying to remember the – oh, uh, last year – when James Franklin was the hottest thing going, then they finished seven and six, and Penn State still gave him a ten-year deal worth seventy-five million. You know who who exactly were they competing against at that point? Would Mel Tucker Tucker have taken I don't know eighty-five million for ten years over ninety-five million? And two boosters are are put are uh, uh, paying for it there. So if if they're running the department, which essentially they are, if they don't like the volleyball coach, if they don't like the baseball coach, they can follow you know fire those people. So we haven't entered a new era. We're continuing to be it. It's it's remarkable to watch. I'm going to pass along one little anecdote that I heard at a game at Mizzou when the the athletic director at Mizzou, Desiree uh, Reed Francois, was asked about uh, Eli Drinkwitz midseason. Allegedly, this is what I heard from a, a person tied in. She said he's he's really the board of trustees coach. I didn't hire him. Jim Sterk didn't hire him. He's the board of trustees coach, and that's not unique to Mizzou, is it? That's that's the way college football works now, is it? The AD is is kind of somebody who gathers information, but it's boards of trustees that are doing all of this stuff. Yeah, if that's the case at Missouri, it's not unique. I mean, at Auburn alone, you've got Jimmy Rain, who uh, I think is CEO of Yellowwood. You know that you know that Yellowwood at mm-hmm. and he's been calling the shots there for years. Um, before that, it was uh, a retired banker who still has influence. So one of the questions for um, Lane Kiffin is, you know, can he get promises that they won't meddle? And I'm talking about meddle. You know, they they created this sort of false investigation and besmirched Brian Harson's character while he was on vacation. He had done something untoward last February. Nothing came of it. But they had stained him maybe for his life, for his professional life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, the, the reasons and the trustees at all these places have to sign off on these contracts. And when you go into a job and it's not the AD who hired you, that's a situation everywhere. But I, I guess I can't speak to Missouri specifically, but, yeah, that's a concern. Dennis Dodd, great to hear your voice. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Th- thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the football weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you, guys. Thanks. All right, let's go Blues. Uh, <laughs> Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com on 101 ESPN. Next up, the Blues have won seven in a row. But they're still only a wild card team right now. Have you completely bought in? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Randy and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the Opening Drive. It's time for today's Big Thing. to put a finger on one thing that's changed like I when I look at it like there's a lot of times where well we're not scoring goals but we're defending extremely well so we're winning real close games or vice versa I think during you know losing streak, there wasn't much going right anywhere I think our goalies were giving us a chance to win but that's about it I think that we just were a very we were a very unconfident team during that time that is 
Craig Bruby in the fast lane on 101 ESPN with Brooke Grimsley and Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. And guys, when you look at the seven-game winning streak, there are a lot of people that have bought in. And I, I know the Blues were better than they were during the eight-game losing streak. But you look at the seven-game winning streak now. They have played five games against teams in this winning streak that aren't going to aren't in a playoff spot right now. Only two of the seven, Vegas and Colorado, were games against teams that are current playoff teams. The Blues have outscored their opponents by a score of thirty to sixteen over this seven-game streak. But has that streak caused you to buy in, Brooke? Well, here's the thing. Uh, there's a lot of positives right now. One, you can tell that there's a huge difference in the way they're playing because as Baruby just said there is that they were not confident. They look a lot more confident right now in the way that they're playing and presenting themselves. Jordan Cairo seems to be picking up steam. Robert Thomas looks great. Pavel Buchnevich is healthy and he's back. My one thing, my one concern right now is there needs to be a little bit more depth defensively. You know, I don't think that they were mm-hmm. expecting Tucker to be into this equation right now. I know that they said that Bortuzzo is possibly close to returning. He's been skating recently. But also with Colton Pareko, I don't know exactly what's going on there because even he wasn't at practice yesterday. It could be a maintenance day. Nothing, you know, could that's it. It could be what, what it is with him. But still, is he fully healthy? Is there something more going on there? And then you have Tori Krug injured as well. So I just feel like defensively they need a little bit more right now you know and I'm not I, I I know you said that the teams there's still some teams in front of them Randy when I looked at this schedule and I looked at these standings a week ago <laughs> two weeks ago they, they were almost they were at the bottom and now mm-hmm. they're somewhere in the middle there, there are six teams in front of them and I'm okay with where they are right now um, this seven game win streak has has changed you know how you view this team we were talking two weeks ago a week and a half ago about you know our, if this continues for the next week or so we're, we may be looking at who's going to be traded who's not going to be on this roster how are we going to get this team better or how are we going to get them better for the future and now we're looking at it and saying hey we're right out of there we're right on the doorsteps of of being into the playoffs and right behind a few teams where we know we can get in and, and cause some havoc so it's november we are in a much better place mm-hmm. than we were a week ago. And I think we just enjoy what we're watching because, you know, obviously there are always things you can clean up. I think uh, Bortuzzo being out, him getting back in the fold is, is going to help them defensively. But right now they're playing so well. Tarasenko hopefully will be back tonight um, and, and add a little bit more offense. He, he's got to score some goals because he is a goal scorer and we know he can put the puck in the net. But I am I am thrilled with where they are right now in comparison to like I said, fourteen yeah, fifteen speaking, days ago. It, it, it things have changed rather quickly. Yeah, and I, I'm actually on board with both of what with what both of you say. Number one, CD, I believe because of the way they beat both Vegas and Colorado, they're capable of beating anybody. You can only beat the teams that are on your schedule ahead of you. But if there is a concern. It's that your one number one defenseman, and I know that Falk is great, but they, it's not me, it's they determined that when Colton, uh, when Alex Prechangel left, that Colton Perico was going to be their number one guy. When you don't have your number one guy, and he's the guy that you're going to have on the ice in that game against uh, Colorado in the, in the last couple of minutes, who was on the ice? It was Colton Perico, it wasn't Justin Falk. They count on him, and if you don't have Pareko, it makes a big difference. So I think this team can beat anybody if they're healthy, but I'm really concerned again about the injuries. What is what is the the 
the need that Blues fans, what is the thing that they need to see from Pareko? What do they, I mean, if he's been playing, what is his fifth year? Yeah. He, he is who More he, than that, His yeah. sixth, how many years is this? Yeah, I think it's eight. Is it eight? Yeah, because oh, he, okay. well, this is five years since the Stanley Cup. Okay, so what do Seven? you expect from him? What, what do what do what do Blues fans want? If if I show you every single night what I'm capable of, who I am, what more do you want exactly. from me? Yeah, and and I think the the frustration is on the Blues fans or or, or us expecting something more than right. than what he because actually he's not, because he is who he is. Yeah, he's not Chris Pronger, but he's and really he, he looks he, he, yeah. he's he's the, when you if you put him side by side without yeah. a face, you would say, oh, they're the same person, right? But. That's not his game. Couldn't be more different. No. And, and, his, and his game translates to 2022. You, Pronger would have difficulty playing the way that he played. Not he, he wouldn't have difficulty playing. He'd have difficulty playing the way he played in 2022 because he'd spend so much time in the box. Kerry, Brooke, Randy, coming up, there's a new book out about soccer in St. Louis. With the World Cup upon us, we thought we would dive in. Soccer Made in St. Louis by Dave Lang. And Dave joins us next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101. 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With Brooke Grimsley and Carrie Davis, I'm Randy Carricker. It's the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And with the World Cup upon us and Black Friday upon us, the holidays on the way, if you have a friend that's a soccer fan or a family member that's a soccer fan, there's a great book out by Dave Lang. It's called Soccer Made in St. Louis, A History of the Game in America's First Soccer Capital. And Dave Lang has been covering soccer since the 70s. Joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. And Dave, good morning. Thanks for taking some time with us. How are you? Uh, great, Randy. How are you? And thanks for having me. We're, th- we're thrilled to have you. And we want to start with this because this has to be like Christmas for you, right? With the World Cup starting? Oh, my gosh. Uh, no kidding. I mean, with St. Louis City playing its first game you know, last week and World Cup, it's uh, soccer heaven. <laughs> Hey, Dave, in your book, you talk about just the history of soccer in St. Louis uh, starting in the 1870s, produced more than 90 national champions, 70-plus players on the U.S. national team, 34 members, 30-plus members in the in the National Soccer Hall of Fame. So I'm going to ask you, in, in your opinion, and it's probably a tough question, who is the best soccer player from St. Louis? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like asking who's the best baseball player because the game's changed so much, you know, but well, I tell you what, right now Tim Reeves playing the best soccer of his life at the highest level of the game, and he'd be right up there, that's for sure. Well, and as you just mentioned there with Tim playing and then you have Josh Sargent as well, what do you think that that says? I know that you mentioned in the book that this is the original soccer capital, and now you have St. Louis City SC starting up here. We have the beautiful City Park Stadium, and they have you know, the term that they keep saying, that they're trying to make this America's first soccer capital. So what are your thoughts on that about St. Louis actually being America's first soccer capital and the history behind it? Well, uh, we, the first edition came out 10 years ago, and we came up with that as our subtitle. We felt we couldn't say it was America's first soccer capital, but it was certainly the current soccer capital is currently the first, certainly the first one because we were turning out generation after generation of local players, unlike any other city until like the mid 1970s. That's been going on since the early 1870s. So I, I don't think there's any doubt that you can call St. Louis the first soccer capital of the United States. Hey, Dave, I'm always intrigued when people write books or, or do this type of work. How long and how much research, how many man hours did you have to put in to, to figure out exactly what you wanted in this book? And, and how long does a project like this take? Uh, well, this had never been done before. And when I did the first edition in 2011, it took about two years. Uh, uh, lots of interviews and lots of uh, research because uh, 
you know, nobody had done it before. Uh, and the second edition took almost two years as well because so much has happened in the last 10 years. So it was, it was a lot of interviews, a lot of uh, looking at newspaper archives because all the newspapers are online now back to the before the Civil War. Uh, I couldn't even tell you how many hours it took. <laughs> Was there anything that you stumbled across that was, you know, kind of surprising or even shocked to you with all your research? Uh, uh, what's come to light in the last 10 years um, with the newspapers being online, we had a league that started in late 1884. That's three years before the first league in England. Hmm. Um, that astounded me. Uh, and that same, uh, in late 1884, we played an international game here against a team from Toronto. And a lot of soccer researchers think that may be the first international soccer game ever played in the United States between organized teams. Wow, that's amazing. Dave Lang is with us. He is the author of the second edition of Soccer Made in St. Louis, A History of the Game in America's First Soccer Capital. Okay, so it's a given that St. Louis is the first soccer capital. Don Garber, when the MLS awarded a franchise to St. Louis, said we've always wanted to be in St. Louis. So if if St. Louis isn't the soccer capital of America right now, what city is? Boy, that's, uh, in terms of fans, you know, Seattle draws a huge amount of fans to their MLS games. Atlanta does well. Um, in terms of, like, actual support, you know, you'd have to look at, I think, Seattle, Portland, uh, and right now Atlanta with the, with the fans are drawing. So, And what about development of young players? Does any, Because we still develop a ton of young players, too. Oh, my gosh. I mean, well, you just look at the World Cup where you have two St. Louisans in the starting lineup. And on the women's side, you know, we have uh, Becky Sauerbrunn, who's one of the best players ever, uh, well over 200 appearances for the United States. Becky, uh, Lori Kolopny, we have two women's World Cup champions. With You know, so we're, we continue to turn out great players. Uh, it hasn't changed at all. Hey, Dave, we were, we're talking about the World Cup. The, the U.S. national team obviously took a 1-1 tie uh, versus Wales. What do they need to do? And, and where is this program, uh, where do you see them going, or how do they go in the right direction to, to, to bring home a World Cup championship? Well, I think, you know, it was disappointing they ended up with a tie, but it was encouraging when you see the age of the team. I mean, these guys are going to be around for a long time. Average age is, what, 24, 25. Um, that's extremely young for a World Cup team. Um, so there's a lot of good young players there. They're going to learn from this experience. You know, they may not do that well this year, but I think in the next cycle, which they automatically qualify because the United States is one of the host countries, um, I look for great things in the next one. So we'll see how far they go uh, next time around. Hey, Dave, what do you think of the trajectory of the program? And like we said at the outset, you've been covering soccer since the 70s. And I thought in 2014 that the trajectory really looked good and then they miss in 2018. So just an overview of USA Soccer. How do you think that the the program is doing? Um, I'm encouraged by the fact that so many of the young players are playing at really high levels, uh, not just in the United States, but overseas. You know, Josh Sargent and Tim Ream, for example, playing in England. Um, I mean, that was unheard of, you know, 20 years ago where you'd have this many Americans playing at that high of a level over in Europe. So, um, and I think it showed uh, in the first game, especially the way Tim Ream covered uh, Gareth Bale when he had to do so. You know, he, he showed his experience playing in, at the English Premier League. So that's encouraging. And one final thing, and I want to tell people how to get the book, but I want to ask you about St. Louis City SC because we here, and we're obviously we're partial towards St. Louis City SC and our city as a soccer 
area. But I'm anticipating that this franchise is going to become the crown jewel of MLS. Is there? Am I wrong about that? Is there any reason that it shouldn't? It should be. I mean, just the fact that the facilities are all in one place. Um, there, it's a beautiful stadium, but more important, just as importantly, the training facilities right across the street. Um, everything's in one place. They're trying to remake downtown West. Um, I, I see no reason why this shouldn't be the uh, the number one franchise in MLS. The name of the book by Dave Lang is Soccer Made in St. Louis, A History of the Game in America's First Soccer Capital. The second edition is out. How can people get it, Dave? Um, it's available directly from the publisher, Reedy Press, and from you know Amazon online. Also available at most of the local bookstores uh, and uh, all the local schnook stores. I'm doing a book signing Friday at OB Clark's during the USA-England game. Um, so my website is soccermainstlouis.com. has all my author events on there and new stuff that's not in the book. So there's a lot of sources where people can get the book. That sounds great. Hey, have a happy Thanksgiving and have a fun signing at OB Clark's. And enjoy the World Cup, and thanks so much for the time. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a happy Thanksgiving, too. Thanks, Dave. Dave Lang, again, the name of the book is Soccer Made in St. Louis, A History of the Game in America's First Soccer Capital. Next up here on 101 ESPN, a little rock and roll coming your way. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Hey, congratulations if you had the over on that Germany-Japan game. Match. <laughs> Match, yeah. 2-1. Exactly. Was kind of- <laughs> 2-1, that's the over, right? I mean, it has to be, yes. Yeah, there's, they, there's they not a lot. I'm, I can't imagine there's a lot of three-and-a-half over-unders on uh, soccer games overall. I Especially when it's Germany because they have a good defense. Yeah, a so if you really want to get into the weeds about it. Yeah, here's so you've got uh, the uh, Brazil and Serbia game tomorrow, and that's at uh, one o'clock St. Louis time. And if you go over under one half, you're at minus twenty five hundred with the over. So you don't want to do that. Now, if you go over under three and a half. Uh, you're at plus 192, so it's still not a great deal. Both teams score. Maybe that's the bet, but even still, it's minus 122. There's not much value. Yeah, Brazil-Serbia, I'd take what both teams score. It's not a bad bet. Okay, but still minus 122, well, not so- a great value well, bet. Soccer athletes, the best condition, other than no question. track uh, distance runners. I mean, yeah. every player runs like six miles. Yeah, think about just, In two just, hours. Think about doing radio play-by-play for soccer. Run, 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 kick, run, 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 kick, run, 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 kick, run, run. That's why I enjoy indoor soccer. Shot, why it's kick, run, 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 and then and then all of a sudden it's shot, goal! Oh my gosh! See, that's radio play-by-play. Some of the textures say we know nothing about soccer. What are you talking already. about, huh? Yeah, we know when goals score, get scored. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was beautiful, that honestly. Was, that was incredible. I did not see that coming. My gosh, you guys just you guys literally just shocked the hell out of me I on need you one. guys to sing Christmas carols. Go caroling now, because the pitch was like pretty good there. Yeah, Thank I was you. pretty impressed with that one. I was pretty impressed with that one. Well, let's let's get into a little bit of a topic here. Um, 
Listen, I, I need to give the Cardinals a little bit of credit for making the right move. They fired offensive line coach and running game coordinator Sean Kugler after he allegedly groped a woman in Mexico City over the weekend. Listen, can't stand for that stuff. When, you, when your employees step out of line for that kind of stuff, you have to get rid of them immediately. I am, though, going to criticize Cliff Kingsbury for some continually shoddy handling of the media. Listen, there have been now over the last three weeks some weird releases form from the Cardinals, including running back Eno Benjamin was one of them. Yeah. And there's been a lot of questions about why the releases happened. And, and again, the reasoning for the actual release and or firing, solid. But the way it's been talked to the media is the odd part. Cliff Kingsbury on Monday was asked straight up directly, will there be any more changes in the staff or the roster this week? On Monday, he says no. The Cardinals had not yet announced the fact that they had fired the coach from his incident over the weekend on <laughs> Sunday. It then came out a few hours later on Monday that they had fired him on Sunday. Okay or not okay, the Cliff Kingsbury is playing a little fast and loose with the chronological timeline and maybe lying, fibbing, not he, telling he, the truth to the media? He didn't lie. At that moment, the, the move had already been done, right? It was done on Sunday. He he was asked on Monday, are there going to be, just because you don't know about it, doesn't mean that I lied. The last move that we're going to make was made on Sunday. So, no, we're not going to make any more moves. The fact that you found out that day or the next day is not <laughs> is not my fault. That's not that. I didn't lie to okay. you. I told you the truth. It just wasn't in the, 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 the order that you would have liked to have known. Here's the thing. I would guess that Cliff Kingsbury's future probably is a coin flip at best right now. He's on his. He's that's, he's on deck. That's also he part of it. He should probably be trying to embrace quality relationships with the media at the moment. He's. he's I'd got, say so. He, he he was he was he was correct in what he said. He was. And you know I think when you start removing when people start moving around and you start moving peace people from from their positions. Generally, you're you are on deck for for being removed from that position because you're starting to say, "Hey, okay, it's this guy's fault, or it's this guy's fault, or he's a bad person, or he's look at look over here, don't look at me, look at everyone else." And that doesn't help that his quarterback has been out for the last couple of weeks. No. It hasn't helped much when he's been healthy, but you know it is what it is. I he, he, I don't think he ever should he shouldn't he should have got the job to begin with, but. Here we well, are after an extension, and we're talking about possibly the thing. removing them. And it doesn't matter who you hire as a coach; it ain't going to work with Kyler Murray. All due respect, the guy's too little. I don't disagree. I, you know what? I, I think if he was a, I don't know if he's a, I don't know him well enough. I don't know him at all. But I've heard <laughs> from 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 former coaches, former college coaches, former coaches. I've seen him throughout his career. You had to put a stipulation which they took out that you can't play video games. Mm-hmm. And there was a report that they, that they're owing to, and he has they haven't won a game since the new Call of Duty came out. So there's that. Yep. I, you know, yep. he's kind of a hamstrung right now, and you know, yeah. he got some some issues. Hmm. Yeah, I, I always thought I thought that was interesting. One because like, why would you need that stipulation? It has to be an issue, right? Like they it wouldn't is put definitely that. Definitely an issue. They wouldn't it just put that unless Big it Manning's wasn't. Contract. There was not. There was not a film study clause in 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 those guys in those guys' contracts. The fact that it was in Kyler Murray's. It speaks volumes to what he's doing, how he's spending his time. Hmm. Do you guys yeah. know how double, how important double experience weekends are on Call of Duty? Like, have some, have some I, respect. I, I don't. Guys. I've never played. Well, you so know what? Touch. Maybe I have. He can you liar. Yeah. I might have. Yeah. But I, it didn't go well, so I turned yeah. it off. <laughs> he's got the entire month of January to play. 
He does, because they'll be yeah. watching playoffs. Yeah. Uh, this, we just got a funny text from this. Teams don't need to tell the media anything. They aren't obligated to tell you anything. You are an idiot. Thank well, you. Well, here's the thing. You are in the entertainment business, and the media is the conduit between the you as an organization and the people that are supporting you, either by purchasing tickets and merchandise or watching your games on TV. You have a business relationship. So, yes, for good organizations, there is an obligation on the part of said organization to communicate with your customers, and that's the way to do also, it. The, also, again, the background <laughs> here is that he was asked pointed questions about the release of certain players early in the year, and he went around it to try to, 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 to flub the timeline a little bit here. Again, he was asked a pointed question about personnel moves. Yes, you're right. He technically was not incorrect, and, but if you're going to release an, a, a press release about firing a coach after being being pointedly asked about whether or not you're making staff movements a few hours before, you can talk to me about obligation or not. Listen, they're talking to the media. I'm simply having a conversation on if they're doing it correctly. The obligation here isn't even part of the conversation, I, and I, yes, they do. I would push back on the teams aren't obligated to tell you anything. If that was the case, they wouldn't have mandatory media time allotted. They, they, they're going to tell you mm-hmm. something. They're, they're, and, and if you have media members in your locker room, in your offices, you might as well tell them what's going on because they eventually they find out or and 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 you look bad when you aren't truthful or forthcoming with with certain things and by the way there is somewhat of a quid pro quo with sports organizations and the media for example i'll tell you right now the cardinal winter warm-up tickets are going to go on sale friday you can get them at cardinals.com slash wwu that's world winter warm-up every organization does charitable (laughs) and philanthropic things and they want the public to know that they're doing charitable and philanthropic things, which Indeed. are great. But what's the best way to get the word out to the people that can participate in those? The media. Exactly. <laughs> so if you're going to ask the media to help out, which we're more than happy to, then you have to help out the media as well. You, you've got to inform both about the good and the not so good. Yep. Randy, we have we have a number of the day. I'm going to give you guys a word of the day. Symbiotic. The word of the day is yeah, symbiotic. symbiotic. That's the relationship between yeah. the, the media and, and sports teams. Well, and I'm just going to point out, too, and this is not just an NFL issue. This is an issue across many different things is that when things are kept behind closed doors from fans from people if they're trying to hide something usually there's something big going on that the public deserves to know about yeah and it usually is found out at some point anyway so it's, exactly. it's not we don't live in a world or, or in a time where you can keep all of the information to yourself and no one ever figures it out people talk whether or not it's you the, doing the doing the talking, someone is talking, and everybody yeah. films everything. I mean, it's always all out there. Right. Yep. One more point here in rock and roll because I have to bring this up. The Lakers might not completely suck. Anthony Davis is back in the game. Street clothes is healthy and playing well. He's just the second Laker since the NBA ABA merger to ever have four games in a row with thirty points and fifteen rebounds. Uh, Naismith Hall of Famer Vince Carter talked about what the Lakers could do with a healthy Anthony Davis. Yes, they can ride that wave. Uh, Anthony Davis has to, and I mean must, play at this level. But here's the the kicker to me. I would like to see Anthony Davis play at this level, the MVP, go-to mentality, alpha dog mentality, while LeBron James is in, in the lineup on the floor. He understands he has to do what he has to do because LeBron is not on the floor. But I want to see him do that when he's on the floor. That lets him know, hey, play through me. 
LeBron is itching and dying to do so. But he knows he has to carry the load. And this is an opportunity. I think this is a great step for AD as far as health, uh, confidence, like we, we talked about with Ben Simmons. And hopefully it translates into being that same type of player when LeBron is on the floor. Also, in addition to that, he combined for 19 steals and blocks across these four games as well. So the defense coming to play as well for Anthony Davis. Can he keep this up? And if he does, can the Lakers be the legitimate team we thought they were going to be with this pairing? Who thought they were going to be legitimate? Well, uh, the the, the media purported them to be before last year. In the words of the Lee, in the great, in the words of the great Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. (laughs) They still stink, Rock. They won five games on the year. They are two games ahead of the last place team. Houston Rockets. They lost last night to the to the uh, Phoenix Suns. They're not good. They're not good. And he, by the he, way, he, because he's playing better, that's what he's supposed to do. Yeah. He's supposed to get 15 rebounds a game. Right. He's 6'11". That's true. He had 37, 17, 21, and 5 last night, and they lost by 10. He doesn't like to say he's 60. He doesn't like to say he's 7 feet because then he had to put his back to the basket mm-hmm. and play a big man game. See, he thinks he's a 4. He can play 5. He doesn't want to. This is this new age young that's, man. That's the problem with Anthony Davis is the fact that he can have a game where across, even if you just short into the last three games, where he has 10 blocks across three games. Games, but he doesn't want to play the five consistently. They'd be better if he just did that consistently, but he's not going to. Even when LeBron comes back, he's probably going to, I think Vince Carter's right, probably shrink a little bit as soon as LeBron steps foot back on the court healthy, and then we're going to be talking about the same Lakers team we've been talking about for the last year plus. And they still stink. stink. Exactly. Rock. I, I was trying to find some positivity nah, with don't them. Give maybe, them anything. Maybe they Vince lost. Carter says they could potentially Patrick do Beverly it. Beverly is out there tackling people like you he's... You can't do that. You can't do that. And by the way... <laughs> He he didn't earn the nickname Street Clothes just as a joke. I mean, he he's earned often it. in Street Clothes. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, just, come on. I mean, to suggest that I, he's gonna, yeah, he'll be there every game and they'll be fine. Can, yeah, can, I, can I can I go into my soapbox real quick? Because basketball players, we talk about. I talk about how tough I think hockey players are. I think they're the, some of the toughest players in in professional sports. I'm not laying on the ice and taking a slap shot to the body to the face ever. Basketball players are on the total opposite end of that spectrum. Reggie Miller was was uh, just over just over just could not understand how Patrick Beverly hit this man so hard. It was the it was not a hard hit. The man Aiden tripped over the teammate. It, it they were oh my god he, he crushed him he oh, oh my goodness he's got it here, bro. That, stop, <laughs> just stop. I've seen screens harder than that. That was not a hard hit. That, that it was a bit much. And so basketball players, <laughs> toughen up. Yep. I love some of you. Some of you are really soft, and it bothers me. So, Thank you, CD. Thank you. I Come, just had to get that off. Coming up with Brooke, <laughs> Carrie, and Randy, we are going to get a little bit more reaction from you about your favorite Albert Pujols memory from 2022 that wasn't his 700th home run. We have a few mic drops, and we want your text, 65780 on 101 ESPN. By the way, we're here till 11 today. No balloon party because... Tim's not feeling well. Hope he feels better. Yeah, me too. Hopefully we'll see him next Monday. Yeah. After Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday. Sunday. Hope he, feel, hope he feels better. Yeah. You know what? I think we should be, you know what? We should make Jackson come in here and do it. Sit in and talk some basketball with me and Carrie. I don't know why I don't know why all of a sudden just Jackson gets the hour uh, off too. Actually, Jackson, let's go, buddy. All right. More coming up on 101 ESPN. Back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
throughout the morning, we've been taking your mic drops and texts in regards to your favorite Albert Pujols moment from 2022. He was named the National League Comeback Player of the Year last night. And what a magnificent way to go out for Albert Pujols and thrilled a lot of Cardinal fans like Terry, who's with us with a mic drop. My favorite Albert moment was not just a single moment, but just how much fun he had for the entire year. It was fun to see him smile as much as he did. It was fun. I, I talked about this all the time. Him and Newt Bard, the relationship that I saw on the in the dugout, you know, on the bench, those two seemed to, like an older guy and a younger guy, mm-hmm. a guy that's just coming up, learning the game, and this old crafty veteran who has been doing it at such a, an elite level his entire career, giving this young man the, the ins and outs, and they're really cheering for one another. When, when Newt was doing something cool, Albert would be right there to celebrate and cheer with him and, and vice versa. I thought that was... That was ecstatic. That was exciting to watch all season long. Well, not even just him, but Yepes as well. I mean, it seemed like he built relationships with so many of the younger players. And, of course, just seeing him again with Yachty. I mean, Yachty was so excited to have it back. Wayno loved it as well. Mm-hmm. But I just think the biggest thing, and Danny Mac obviously had a great like kind of Twitter thread on this and talked about it a lot, is just seeing the different generations of fans coming in to witness Albert Pujols for one last time together. I mean, that was just so special to see going to Bush Stadium every single day and just seeing everybody come in and the excitement. You you see like grandparents with, you know, their grandchildren. You see all these different generations of lives that have been touched by Albert Pujols and the magic that he's brought to St. Louis. That was just really incredible to see. I don't think you can think of many players like that no. in baseball that you could witness something like that. And Brooke, we get a text uh, from... The 314. My favorite memory from 2022 was getting to take my 10-month-old daughter to her first game. Her first game was a May 1st game against the D-backs. Her first game, she got to see one of the best players ever to hold That's a bat. That's what I'm saying. It's just so cool. I mean, it's just such a special thing and for everybody to be so excited and celebrating all that. And I don't know, just a very special moment. Let's hear from Katie, who also has delivered a mic drop to 101 ESPN. Morning, guys. My favorite Albert moment from this year was number 690 that would have been the grand slam um, off of old friend Austin Gomber I was there with my mom who made me the crazy Cardinals fan that I am today and my three-year-old daughter and that is a moment I will cherish forever so for me that's my uh, my favorite memory Um, he was my favorite player growing up. My heart was broken when when he left for Anaheim in 11. I remember that morning very vividly, waking up in my college dorm to the news on ESPN and uh, just absolutely broke my heart. And he helped put it back together this year. And I couldn't be more grateful and thankful for him coming back and giving us all these special memories. Katie, that's so well said, and it goes to what Brooke was talking about. And one of my favorite memories about the Rams being here was going to a game with my son and my dad. So to be able to take your daughter and your mom and have three generations of your family go to see probably the best you'll ever see, that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, there's no doubt that you are you're a crazy fan, and we love it. <laughs> that, that, those are the memories. Um, you know, you think about all of the – the things, the sporting events, the, the different events you go to. But when you can share those memories and moments with family, those are the the, the things that last, you know, a lifetime mm-hmm. to be able to share those. And you can talk about it. You remember when we were, you know, watching this and watching that, that. Those are the times where you can really have a good time. 
Well, and I think, too, she brought up a good point about, you know, obviously Albert leaving leaving to go to Anaheim was really hard for fans, but... Even when he came back, you know, just to play for the first time at Bush Stadium since leaving, the warm welcome he got back, and then the full return this past season of him coming, I think that says a lot about Cardinals fans about, you know, that doesn't matter what happened. He's still always going to be a Cardinal. The way that he felt accepted, he mentioned that over and over Mm -hmm. again, how much that meant to him and how much he wanted to perform and do all that for the fans. I think that was a really special moment for the fans to have him come back in that way. And so many of the texts we're getting are about other things than home runs. From the 618, my favorite Albert moment was watching him pitching, which was fun. (laughs) And then uh, from the 330, watching Albert and Yachty pour water down Wayno's pants. Those those sorts of memories are great. What a magnificent final year on and off the field, and he brought it to us. Somebody just texted in, opening day, it brought tears to my eyes. Yeah. I remember walking into the, the red jacket. We were Michelle and I were going to get together with McGuire, and we walked into the, the room with the red jackets, and the first guy we see is Jason Isringhausen, who's probably listening right now. And he walks up and he says, you know he's going to hit a home run today, right? You know he's going to. <laughs> so even like grizzled baseball players were touched by Albert coming back. And like all of us, they knew that he was going to hit a home run, even mm-hmm. when he didn't. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Thank you very much for your mic drops and your texts. Coming up next, the Pro Football Hall of Fame released their 28 semifinalists yesterday for the class of 2023. We only get to pick five, and Kerry and Brooke and Randy are each going to pick our five, and Matthew, he's got his five too, here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. feel about having a little balloon party here? Let's do it. Okay. It's we're it's in. not the regular balloon party, right. people, but we're going to have a, our own little balloon party. Our own party. You, have to, you, have to, you have to bring in the segment saying yes, yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yesterday. <laughs> there you go. That? I like that. The That's Pro good. Football Hall of Fame revealed their list of 28 semifinalists for the Hall of Fame, and they'll announce this Super Bowl weekend, and then the Hall of Fame induction will take place next summer. And we hear a lot about how bad the committees do for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They can vote in a maximum of five. And we have been charged with each picking our class of five Hall of Famers out of these 28. Kerry Davis played in the league at the highest level, played on a Super Bowl team. And because of that, and the fact that you know more than we do, we're going to let you go first. All right, so I I did some... some High-level thinking here. And and so when I give you my list, some people may be a little bit frustrated or, or not understanding. Uh, and that's because the re- the receiver position has a lot of good names on it. But when you look at the list of names that are coming up, there aren't a lot of names that are coming. So what that means to me is the next big name will be Larry Fitzgerald, which will be in about two or, two or three years. Right. I think this so, is the second year out. Yeah. So you have time to get some of these receivers in. So I'm not – I'm going to leave off some names. I just wanted to get that out there before people start, you know. Okay. Um, so Here, Let me give the list of semifinals okay, first, okay? Here's the list, and it's tough. Cornerback Eric Allen. Defensive end Jared Allen. Tackle Willie Anderson. Cornerback safety Rondé Barber. Wide receiver Anquan Bolden. Wide receiver Henry Ellard. Guard Jari Evans. Linebacker London Fletcher. 
Defensive end, Dwight Franey. Linebacker, James Harrison. Safety, Rodney Harrison. That's a big no. Uh, Pun returner, kick returner, wide receiver, Devin Hester. Wide receiver, Torrey Holt. Wide receiver, Andre Johnson. Cornerback, Albert Lewis. Defensive end, Robert Mathis. Cornerback, Darrell Rivas. Wide receiver, Steve Smith. Running back, Fred Taylor. Overlooked so far. Tackle, Joe Thomas. Linebacker, Zach Thomas. Wide receiver, Heinz Ward. Linebacker and defensive end, Demarcus Ware. Running back, Ricky Waters. Wide receiver, Reggie Wayne. Defensive tackle, Vince Wilfork. Linebacker Patrick Willis and safety Darren Woodson. All right, the floor is yours. All right, so my first two are, are as the first time on the ballot, Joe Thomas and Darrell Rivas. I think those are no-brainers. Those two guys had an outstanding careers, um, did awesome in, in what they were able to do and how they were able to play the game. That, that Those two are my no-brainers. One name that I think, and it's so frustrating to me because this man – did such an outstanding job, had a long career, never got injured, played 5'10 linebacker, you at second all-time in tackles in the NFL history behind Ray Lewis, London Fletcher. And did he, he never made a Pro Bowl, correct? Isn't he, that amazing? He made one, I believe. He, okay. But he is a guy, it, was it just one? He is a guy that that when you talk about, and you got to look at the list of linebackers that were playing against him, you know, the, the years that he was he was playing, so that, that, that yeah. it, it becomes a popularity contest. Right. But a guy that played so long, never missed a game, played second leading tackler in NFL history behind Ray Lewis. He's on the list. He has to. He has to eventually get in. He didn't get to his first Pro Bowl until 2009 when he was 34 as an alternate. Then finally, because the media finally realized that they were had been crazy for 10 years, his next three years he ripped off three more Pro Bowls. But again, it wasn't until his. Twelfth. That's the players. That's not the media. That's the, that's yeah, the players. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until his twelfth year in the league that he was in his first Pro Bowl. He was an alternate, and then he was a star the next three years. Uh, and so my last two, I'm I'm torn between one of the receivers because I think one of them has to get in, and over the next couple of years, you can get a couple more in. Um, I I I don't think Steve Smith is one. So it's either it's really between Tory and Reggie Wayne. And when I look at the numbers, and I, and Hines as well. Hines is a guy that that just off of his mm-hmm. career, but his numbers don't match up with those three. I'm gonna have to go Reggie Wayne as as the next receiver to get in. Um, so that's four. And then my last one is a tough spot for me because it's either Devin Hester, who is the all time leader in non touchdown, uh, non um, uh, offensive touchdowns r- r- with returns, and then Rondé Barber, who was just one of the key components, keep focal points of that Tampa Bay defense mm-hmm. that allowed them to win a championship. Um, number 10 all-time in tackles for a slot cornerback, a nickelback, essentially, and, and does so many things, receive uh, sacks and and able to get interceptions. I think I'm going to go with Rondé. Okay. So, Barber, Wayne, Fletcher, Revis, and Thomas. Yes. All right. Brooke, who do you got? I was going to have you go next, Randy, because I, I, I want to hear yours. Okay. I'm with you on the two first-timers. Mm-hmm. I think Revis, when you have an island named after you, yeah, you you're, you're there. Yeah. And Joe Thomas. I think those are both absolutely legitimate calls. If we're going to have Gail Sayers and Terrell Davis in the Hall of Fame, then we've got to have Tory Holt in the Hall of Fame. 
from 2000 to 2009, no receiver in the game, and this is with Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and Terrell Owens and Randy Moss playing the primes of their careers, Isaac Bruce, there was no receiver in the game from 2000 to 2009 that had more catches for more yards than Torrey Holt. And oh, by the way, he was doing it with Isaac Bruce on the other side. He was catching that many balls. So I'm going to go with Torrey Holt as one of my five. And then the other ones, and I know that the the uh, Hall of Fame voters have difficulty in terms of picking out players because they don't want to overdo one position. Well, I am going to overdo one position. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh I'm getting a oh here. Well, but, I'm thinking because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to put in three defensive backs. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going completely different here. I am going to put in defensive end Jared Allen, and I'm going to put Whoa. in defensive end Dwight Franey. Mm. See, I, I, I looked at that position as well, and the next person up for them would be Julius Peppers. He's the next mm-hmm. one to, to – I think next year he'll he'll be uh, Hall of Fame eligible, and he's probably a first ballot, if not first, second, um, in his second year. But I don't – I'm not opposed to those two. Getting, I, I just – I'm not opposed to that. I, I just want some of those guys that have been there a little bit longer. I'm with you. Yeah, that's good. Get an opportunity. All right. So I'm going to give you mine, and then I have a follow-up question afterwards because we've been discussing this over the break of which Hall of Fame is the hardest to get into. But first, I'll give you mine. So I feel like we're all in agreement that Joe Thomas and Daryl Revis, 100%. I feel like those are the easy no-doubters. And this is the part and that everybody seems to have differences on is where do you go from here? Because with the Hall of Fame, I feel like with the Pro Football Hall of Fame specifically, there's a lot of guys where it's like, what, where do we go from here and what are they going to vote on? You never know. So I want Tory Holt to get in is my whole thing. And I'm surprised he didn't get in last year. So he's my next guy. After that, I have Devin Hester is one that really intrigues me a lot as well. Thank you, I Scott Linehan. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then Zach Thomas, I mean, just an incredible linebacker is my last one. So now I'll pose the question, which Hall of Fame, do you think is the hardest to get into out of all the professional sports? Because as we just saw here, we all have very differing answers other than the first two. So which one is the hardest? I think it's baseball because you have so many people that think they're the protector of the sport. And there are things that the baseball voters vote on that football voters by instruction are not allowed to vote on. For the Football Hall of Fame, Those voters are only supposed to vote on what happens between the white lines. And if you took steroids in baseball or if you did something untoward and a voter didn't like it, you can be kept out. And you also have idiots. Everybody in the Hall of Fame uh, football, you have 48 voters. They're all there and they're all into it and engaged. There are baseball Hall of Fame voters that turn in blank ballots. And once you turn in a blank ballot, I think you should lose it. Yeah. You should lose your right to vote, but they don't. And so I think baseball is tougher because you're dealing with more extenuating circumstances. I think football is the toughest based on numbers. When you It's 53 men on a roster, which means there are more players in the NFL. Baseball has 25. Basketball has 15, but really seven. Um, and, and so I think football is the hardest – uh, Hall of Fame to get in just based off of the number of players that you have and and as you said not enough spots to put those people in. Mm-hmm. There's five people that are going to go in this year and you got a list of of, of 28. <laughs> That's a lot of people and it got dwindled down. There are people that got left off of this list. So, you know, it's it's a tough list to 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 try to manage and it's a tough uh, Hall of Fame to get into. 
Yeah, I mean, that that's for sure, because, I mean, other than those first two, as we mentioned, it's just kind of feels like a crapshoot after that of what exactly they're looking for and who they're going to pick. Yep. All right, Matthew, you're a football guy. What do you got? I kind of combined a little bit of your your two lists. Right off the bat, obviously, you got, like you said, no no doubt Joe Thomas, uh, Darrell Revis, and I'm putting in Torrey Holt because it's about, it's about darn time. The wide receiver glut's always going to be there, but you look at the wide receivers on this list, I would um, rank them, I would say, Holt, and then honestly, I think I think Eller deserves being right alongside a guy like Bolden or Wayne, if not before, just because of what he the numbers he was able to do in a league that wasn't completely opened up just yet pre Greater Show on turf. Uh, but it, it's Tory Holt right now for me. And my fourth one, I'm going to go with Kerry on this one. Ronde Barber, just an absolute incredible player. When you think about what he what he was able to do, I also think it's funny that. No, that people try to take away from him because he was strictly a zone corner in that Tampa two, and yet there's other cornerback greats who people don't hold that against for some reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you think about how much, how good of a, how good of a uh, tackler he was, like Kerry mentioned, uh, Rondé Barber, in my opinion, six six times good enough for him as a finalist. Let's make him the final one. And then my number five spot, I went a little bit different here. This one, I went a little bit eye test. I went through when I when this player was playing and I was watching him and I was in the moment. Who who hit me as a Hall of Famer? Patrick Willis. Is, is mm-hmm. my is my number five right now. It, it was close between him, Jared Allen, Demarcus Ware, Dwight Freeney. It was going to be one of those defensive players, but I think I got to go with Patrick Willis on this one. He's kind of like Holt. Patrick Willis was a better football player than London Fletcher was. Yes. Yeah. But because not of the, longer, he doesn't have yeah. long enough. Can I get anybody to come to the Zach Thomas side? Zach I mean, Thomas tackling machines, tackling yeah. machines, yeah. seven-time Pro Bowl. Yep. I mean, all what three, else do you need to do? All three of those middle linebackers are Hall of Fame okay. players, no doubt in my right. mind. Two quick notes here. I made a mistake because I I just didn't read the name. Mm-hmm. Demarcus Ware deserves to be in ahead of Freeney. Yes. Demarcus Ware is yeah, a better yes. football player, so I'm going to go with F- Ware better than Freeney. I agree over with that as well. Demarcus Ware was an outstanding football player. Uh, Dwight Freeney brought something to the game that that you know, that spin move when he spun on anyone. It was like he disappeared. It was unbelievable. It was something. He was one of the quickest human beings I have ever seen in person yep. to be a defensive lineman. I don't know running backs or receivers. I've seen he's faster or quicker than some of them. He was absolutely amazing. And then one other note. Zach Thomas came into St. Louis one time against the greatest show on turf. This this is all you need to know about the greatest show on turf. Because Zach Thomas watched more tape than any defensive player. More tape than any defensive player. And after the game, and I think the Rams put up, 52 on him or something like that. And Zach Thomas said, I did not see a single play or formation <laughs> that I had seen on tape. Not a single one. You know how frustrating that is for a defender when it's completely there is nothing I recognize from film study. There's no down a distance, no rhyme or reason. I don't know anything that they're doing at this moment. It was that, that, that is amazing. God, which is more terrifying? As somebody who forgot the play the first time you ever were in on the Colts, which do you think is more legitimately terrifying? Being a defender looking out at an offense you've never seen or an offensive player who did not know what just got called in the huddle? Oh, no, it's definitely being a defender, not no. I mean, we, because you spend the entire week watching for tendencies. Oh, third down, they like to do this. Second down and long, they like to do this. And then they line up in things you've never seen. That you have you 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 have no clue as to what's coming to you. You you are just you're just out there trying to react at this point. Where when you are a really good football, reacting is a is a key part of it. But knowing what's coming helps a lot in that being able to react faster. Forty two to ten, by the way. The forty two to ten, and the Rams uh, piled up. Great show on turf in their third game of 0-1, 441 yards. I always forget. Did you run the right 
route on that? Uh, yeah, Peyton told me. All right, yeah, he had to. <laughs> I, I had no clue. Hey, next up on 101 <laughs> ESPN. If the Cardinals are going to get a shortstop, does Dansby Swanson intrigue you? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Here's a tweet yesterday from David O'Brien, who covers the Braves for The Athletic. He tweeted yesterday, St. Louis hasn't been mentioned as prominently as some other teams as a potential landing spot for Dan B. Swanson if the shortstop doesn't re-sign with the Braves. But the Cardinals make a lot of sense for him in terms of their needs, his personality, team culture, the whole thing. I heard the other day on MLB Network Radio the expectation that Swanson would get a deal roughly half of what Trey Turner is asking for and expected to get, which would be... Three hundred million. So you're looking at Swanson maybe as rather than a thirty million dollar player, as a fifteen to twenty million dollar player. Does Dansby Swanson intrigue you as a Cardinal to pursue? Well, um, I think if anybody's looked at social media since that tweet has been out, Cardinals Twitter does not want Dansby Swanson, is what I'm gathering, and I can kind of see why because, well. He's a little bit of an above average player offensively. So I can understand the frustration is, you know, once again, we're looking for offensive upgrades because as we've seen, and I think as everybody's noticed, you need three elite bats. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Cardinals were missing, right? You have Goldschmidt, you have Arnado. I know that they kind of performed. Well, not just kind of. They didn't perform how you would have expected them to in the playoffs, but you needed that third bat that third elite bat. I don't think Dansby Swanson is that. Um, And, I mean, is it going to be less expensive than a Trey Turner? Yes, but you also kind of get what you're paying for, right, Is is my whole thought process with that. And I did see what he also added to that tweet was that he fits the Cardinals' way, the Cardinals' system, and I do see that. And maybe this is just me looking into this too much, but you know, he was a Vanderbilt baseball player. I feel like the Vandy boy way is very similar to how the Cardinals yep. kind of hold themselves. They so I loved understand David that. Price. Yes, exactly. So I understand the correlation there. But I think as as a help offensively, I don't really see the fit. For me. Um, if it's not Mason Wynn coming up, there's only one person that I really want. Trey, 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 Trey Vance, Turner, Trey, Turner. That's it. Eh, I, don't, I don't have to go any other direction. CD? <laughs> we're on the same page. We're, we're all on the same page. I'll tell you what. If it's signing Dansby Swanson for five years and $60 million, or... Having Edmund at short and Donovan at second for a year before Mason Wynn gets here, I'll re- I'd rather be patient for Mason Wynn. Mason Wynn already has better tools than Dansby Swanson, has a better upside than Dansby Swanson. And one thing you do if you sign him to a five-year deal is you block Mason Wynn at shortstop. And some uh, Jamie Rivers was saying yesterday that uh, he read somewhere that somebody said that he profiles better as a second baseman. He throws 100 miles an hour across the diamond. <laughs> He's he, what he is he, skill set wise. I'm not saying he's going to wind up being the guy, but skill set wise, if you had a chance to watch Mason Wynn play, he's got the exact same skill set, the exact same build as Trey Turner. I have no issue with the Dansby versus Turner argument here, 
But if we if we move on to a Dansby and Win conversation, to circa twenty fourteen, Dansby seemed like he was a pretty untouchable prospect with value at the very top. I'm not saying that, you know, just because one guy doesn't work out, everyone's not going to work out. But it is interesting to me that we're having this conversation and we bring in Mason Wynn literally as we're talking about a guy whose value never reached the massive potential that baseball thought he had. But what you're doing, if you sign that guy for five years, is you're signing essentially an average player. Well, right? and I'm not even talking yeah. about his OPS plus speed. for his career is 95. It's just that in, as we bring up win, it's interesting to me that we're literally having a conversation with a guy who could be the you know floor of a Mason win in the future for the Cardinals, and as opposed to a yeah. guy like Trey Turner who could be the ceiling. And it's just interesting to me that we're having this conversation, and literally the potential downside is staring us right in the face on what could happen if you put all your hopes in a high value yeah. young player, and he doesn't maybe pan out the way you thought he was going. To. And I can tell you this: the Cardinals aren't going there. They are. They would not spend. I can tell you definitively. I'll tell you ninety nine point nine percent, not a hundred percent. The Cardinals wouldn't go $60 over five years on Dansby Swanson, even if he fits the culture, because they don't want to block Mason Wynn. They love Mason Wynn. And by the way, we talk about Mason Wynn a lot. They love Tommy Edmond. Cardinals really, really Mm -hmm. like Tommy Edmond, and they really like Brendan Donovan. So are they going to cast aside one of those two for 2023 to plug in a Dansby Swanson who's probably not as good as either of them? I don't think so. Randy, I have to work on my patience because I am really getting antsy waiting on some type of move. I know you said baseball free agency goes a lot. Is that a snail's pace? pace. Yeah. It's really moving slow. I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I need more entertainment. I, I need more big deals right yeah. now. Things, people wheeling and dealing, people moving, you know, getting their money now. I, I, I would lose my mind if I was a baseball player. We're a couple of weeks away from the winter meetings. We'll have action, action, action All from right. the winter meetings. Let's it, go. it will happen. Brooke, Kerry, Randy, coming up with Thanksgiving and NFL games tomorrow. Should the league spread them around rather than let Detroit and Dallas have them all the time? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. In today's NFL, every team plays Thursday night games. But since 1947 for the Lions and since 1978 for the Cowboys, they have had the advantage of every year getting a home game on Thanksgiving. So their opponent generally has to play on Sunday. The Monday is ordinarily a light day for NFL players. Tuesday is a day off, and then you travel on Wednesday. So the opposition doesn't have any opportunity to practice while the home teams, the Bronco or the uh, Lions or the Cowboys, do. And for as long as this has been the case, the Cowboys were able to talk themselves into getting a Thanksgiving Day game. It's a tradition for the Lions. I don't think it's fair to the rest of the league that the Lions and the Cowboys get. Thanksgiving Day games at home every year. And I think these games, as home games, should be spread around. And oh, by the way, the last time a Thanksgiving game was played that wasn't in Dallas or Detroit was right here in St. Louis in 1977. The Miami Dolphins, led by Bob Greasy, uh, hammered the St. Louis Cardinals 55 to 14. It was a bad day. Conrad Dobler threw his helmet. He was so mad. Was bad what is what is what Nate is uh, Bob Nat, Greasy? Nat, mm-hmm. What is Bob Greasy? Bob Greasy is a Hall of Famer. Okay, CD. <laughs> now, there has to be 
There has to be a, a worst Hall of Famer, does there not? You have to have the best of I the mean, worst. There's got to be a worst the doctor, worst of the best. right? Yeah. There, there's got to be a dumbest doctor out there. And yeah, so uh, Bob, I would consider, is the worst of the best. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page. But he did put up 55 <laughs> EJ in Bob Baumhauer and AJ Due and that. That uh, Dolphins team. They, so it wasn't a real advantage for the football Cardinals that day in 1977. Do you guys agree with me that I, these games should be moved around? I, you know what? I, I find something. I, I do love the tradition of Dallas and, and Detroit having those games. I, I because it brings me back to my childhood watching Barry Sanders. You know, on Thursday on 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 Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. watching when Dion. I was never a Cowboys fan until Dion Sanders became a Cowboy, and then I was like, oh, this team. I like these guys. I like I like watching Dion. So it it for me, just because of the history of it, how long they've been doing it. You know, it, it takes me back to my childhood. Just the memories I have of watching those teams, knowing that they're going to play on Thursday. That's fair enough. It, 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 it it's just something about the history of it that I enjoy. So do you just not like tradition, Randy? Is that what you're wanting here? You want to bring this up? up. I'm going to put fairness over tradition. Oh, okay. Well, they have Thursday night games for other teams during the season. They they, they add those and implement implement that. They've had those. I just think that it is a distinct advantage for, and obviously Detroit, have they taken advantage of it? No. I was going to say, you kind of got to, I think it's unfair that the, the Cowboys get it, but I mean, Let's just try to give Detroit a chance. I say you let them keep it. And here's the thing. If you are Detroit, you have been terrible for so long. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, putrid. It, it, they, 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 this team went 0-16, Randy. They were that bad. Yeah, they were. They, they were worst of the worst. You talk about uh, uh, best of the worst or worst of the best. Sean mm-hmm. Rogers was a defensive tackle for the for the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. He said, he told us one. He said, you know, I'm going to write a book. Best of the worst. Because <laughs> he was the best player <laughs> on the worst, on team. the worst yeah. teams in the league. Yeah. It was uh, it was a tough yep. to watch them. By the way, when I was a kid and I was 13, so this is 1975. O.J. Simpson was my guy mm-hmm. playing for the Buffalo Bills, and they came in and played the football Cardinals, and that's one of my favorite childhood memories yeah. is getting an opportunity to go to that game, see O.J. Simpson play. Now, their fullback, Jim Braxton, ran for like 139 yards in that game, and O.J. ran for only 85, but I got a chance to see my guy. Right. And I, I don't think it's any different. It, it, it's the best teams in the NBA. It's not always the same teams. Right. In the NBA on Christmas Day, it's it's the best teams that play, and I think that's the way it should be set up in the NFL. For me, it was it was the 90s is when it, it came to light for me. I mean, you got to see Barry Sanders. You got yeah. to see Emmitt Smith and, and, and Troy Eggman. Those were, were you know, good the Detroit Lions were not always a good team, but they had good players. You know, they Herman Moore. They they had guys that you could look at and say this this should be a really good team. Um, and if you're the Detroit Lions right now, you have to be excited about where you're going. Mm-hmm. If you're able to get everyone healthy and get things going in the right direction next year, they may be a team that you you want to see on Thanksgiving, exactly. which is something they've been, I guess, trying for for a lot of years. It's just finally yeah. coming to fruition. Can we force them to have a logo on their helmet at least on Thanksgiving so that yeah. we don't have the throwbacks with the plain silver? I like the throwbacks, though. I like the, the blue. I yeah, I don't know why. It's something because it's not – It's not because I, I'm telling you, I just go to Barry Sanders. It's, that was my okay. guy. I yeah. loved watching him play football. I did, too. He was just flat-out amazing. <laughs> he was great. So, yes. anyway, oh. at, at the oh. end of the day, the NFL's not going to change. I mean, Jerry's got control, and he's going to keep that game, and the Lions have it since 1947, so that's not changing either. There you go. Is the text line? Oh, getting, yeah. Are they mad? Yeah, no, they're talking about OJ. Oh. He wasn't able to cut up our defense that day. Oh, eh, no. Yeah, the, 
He's always an escape artist, though. He's yeah. able to get am away. I, am I going to clip off Randy out of context saying the phrase, OJ Simpson was really my guy? Yes. Well, he was. <laughs> OJ was, was a special. I, I told Randy's you about OJ. Tommy OJ Stanley. was, when, when, when he was in, in, in his heyday, he was the man. Like He was, he was the yep. guy that, that if you went into a room, this is from, from older players that I've yep. talked to, they, they've been in rooms with Magic Johnson and, and you know, a, a bunch of different players that are in L.A., and he is the guy. Yeah. The room no stops when O.J. would walk yeah. in. And as a running back, you know, Sanders changed the game because he was a scat back, yeah. and, and Emmett was a guy who was a between-the-tackles guy. O.J. was a slashing runner. He was, yeah. uh, you know, he... Slash runner. Yeah. Okay. Oh, gosh. You guys, <laughs> he didn't do it. He did <laughs> not. <laughs> he didn't do it. Okay. Well, well, what is going on here? Uh, guys, I, I have to get out for an appointment, and I know that uh, you two will be able to carry this baby down the stretch towards BK and Ferrario, but I want to wish all three of you a wonderful Thanksgiving. Brooke, thanks for joining us this week. It's been yes, great to have you with us. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, hopefully we can do this more. And uh, CD, I will not see you before. For tomorrow, so happy Turkey Day. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. And sir. enjoy your stuffing or dressing. Dressing in your house. Oh, dressing in our house. Got it. Okay. <laughs> you enjoy your mac and cheese, Brooke. And, yes. and you enjoy your biscuits, Rock. We'll and, talk and, to you. And in enjoy a your mac no and cheese. No rolls for you. <laughs> Coming to your house and stealing your rolls, Carrie yeah. Davis. And I can enjoy your, your mac and cheese with. Um, a spoon. No, not you know what? Not usually a spoon on Thanksgiving. Here's the thing. What? Because oh again, my, my point was always it was about consistency. <laughs> regular, regular mac and cheese, a little bit more cheesy. Thanksgiving mac and cheese, though, it's the baked casserole kind. It's crunchier. It's 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 a little bit more uh, you know viscous, if you will. You need the fork for that. All right. Hey. Uh, there, there's more coming up on this special edition of the balloon party. Uh, with all of the people from the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I was shocked. I didn't mean to say it out loud, but it just came out. <gasps> OJ turned around to see who said it. Saw my black face and correctly assumed it was me. <laughs> I was sitting in the corner of the booth. He leaned over all the white people I was having dinner with and shook my hand. And then he walked away. And I looked back at my agents and all of them had nothing short of disgust on their faces. And the only one with the courage to voice their disgust was a woman named Sharon who used to represent me. How could you, she said. How could you shake hands with that murderer? I said, Sharon, with all due respect, that murderer ran for over 11,000 yards. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Gary Davis, joined by Brooke Grimsley and Matthew Rocchio, giving us a little Dave Chappelle. And so about OJ. Up, I was like, I know exactly what I want to bring up right now. With all, due, with all due respect, ma'am, that, that murderer ran for 11,000 yards. Allegedly. Allegedly. He Allegedly was ran through a One of my favorite Dave Chappelle segments there. That was so funny. So funny. With all due respect, that man ran for 11,000 Dave Chappelle yards. is pretty amazing. He's Mark, a good storyteller. He, he definitely oh, is. You God. had something that you wanted to do uh, in these last few minutes before we get out of here for the holiday weekend. What you got? Yes. So making sure I'm keeping track of this time-wise. Nah, so we ahead. always talk about 
the fact that there's too many bowl games, right? Way too many. You win six games in a season. You put in some cupcakes in there to kind of help pad that Like a little, bye week in the yeah. SEC in week 10. Oh. Yeah, like you said 12. there. So yeah, something like that. There's yeah. always these ridiculous bowl games. I feel like every single year when I'm watching around the holidays, I'm like, wait, this is actually a bowl game name. So we're gonna play a game. I'm gonna give you two options. One is real, one is fake for okay. the bowl game name. Okay. All right. I'm ready. You guys ready? We're gonna start with the first group. So which one is real, which one is fake? Guaranteed rate bowl or state farm bowl? Oh, I feel like the guaranteed rate bowl sounds. They bought a, they, they they bought name rights to a stadium, so I'm going to go with the guaranteed, guaranteed rate, rate bowl. Yeah, let's go with that one. Yes, Stay making out. it easy, <laughs> making it easy for you guys. All right, here we go. All right, group two, the Doritos Bowl or the Cheez It Bowl. The Cheez It Bowl is a real one. The Doritos. It used to be the Lay's championship game. Or Tostitos. Tostitos, yes. Fiesta Bowl. Fiesta Bowl. So, but the cheat, the cheetah, because they, they threw the cheese it Bowl's real? Yeah, they threw Cheez-Its on oh, the coach last do. year after they won. I You're remember right. that. It was a, it was a, a Gatorade uh, jug full of Cheez-Its, I believe, that they threw on the coach or something like that. Something, if I'm remembering it correctly. There was a mayo one, too, right? A mayo do you remember bowl. that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't throw any mayo. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a little weird because Somebody, what is your much. gift? Because, you know, because, <laughs> you know, that's part of it, too, is the yeah. players get gifts. So do you so, just get a bunch of mayo? Well, we went to a bowl that no longer exists uh, my <laughs> freshman year, the Micron PC Bowl game. Which yeah, you never heard of. If what I, if what I is that? Put that on the, exactly. If I would have put that on the list, you might have been looking at me like, "Oh, it's kind of crazy." Yeah. So we got some shoes. We got a jacket. We got a bag. We got maybe a watch. And then I think uh, Michigan was playing Alabama in the Citrus Bowl that year, and they got a whole bunch of things that we did not get. It's pretty upsetting. I wonder what what they get for the Citrus Bowl. Eh, what what their swag much bag more is than like. What we got for the Micron PC Bowl. <laughs> All saying. right, next one: the Lending Tree Bowl or the Giving Tree Bowl. The well, Lending wish, Tree Bowl is a real one. I, I wish the Giving Tree Bowl was that. That should be, that should be a bowl game. Come on. If we're going to pick bowl games from the most innocuous things, from random items of food to insurance companies, why not a book? That is it has a beautiful message. I feel like yeah. Like if you, that, if you're a company that bowl, has enough uh, enough money, why not just make it whatever you want? You know what? That's what Amazon. You know what Amazon? You want to get some good corporate social you know points? Go ahead and just just sponsor the Giving Tree Bowl. I think I think it's a great idea. It's you know, beautiful. You know, I've been saying for a couple of days that that Mizzou had a had a bye week last week. And um, yo, that's who you've been talking about. Yeah, you were talking, talking about Mizzou when you said that. The, oh, I thought you were talking about the actual thing, scheduled bye week that well, Big they Ten had, teams they play, have. They played uh, New Mexico State, or who did they play? New Mexico? It was New Mexico State. Yeah, they played New Mexico. That was a bye week. There was a couple of times on this text thread that someone has asked me, didn't Michigan have a bye week last week as well? Michigan played the University of Illinois to a to, to, to the final field goal <laughs> being kicked in which Michigan won the game. It was not a bye week, sir, ma'am. We fought our butts off. We didn't get enough first downs. We also got a call that was not called against us where the Michigan quarterback's knee was on the ground. He was able to get up and throw a pass. So, no, Michigan did not have a bye week. They had a hard-fought battle versus the University of Illinois. You are not were... incorrect, but I do have a question here. Between Good. battling number 11 Penn State to a win on October 15th and playing Michigan State uh, on October 29th, hey, what, hey, what hey, happened between hey, the... Is hey, there, hey. there was, was there hey. a week between what those two games? What are we doing? I'm just... 
What are we doing here? I'm just asking questions. Too. That's all I'm doing. I carry, I'm asking questions here, David. That's all I'm, I'm doing. just saying the SEC has built-in bye weeks. You all play non-conference opponents, the Citadel, the Detroit University, or New Mexico. Those men are the future soldiers record? of America. Show some, 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 some. They're the worst. Um, <laughs> they're one of the worst teams in college football. But they get paid money for that, though. The the teams do, yeah. So that's, so that's the, why so they So the come. SEC teams are paying these teams to, win to come. games, yes. It's awesome. I guess if you want, if you're an SEC guy, I'm not Big Ten all the way. I'm aware of that. Yeah, I think if a lot of people have been listening to the show this week, they're a little bit aware. Are they're a little bit aware? Uh, of hopefully, that. they are extremely aware that yeah, that's what so. we do. And, you know, where's Dan Deardorff to come back on here and make <laughs> yeah, fun of Illinois? Dan was somewhere? that was that was hard. That was harsh. What he told me, he told us there was a pecking order for football, and Michigan was well above Illinois in that pecking order. And Ouch. things went the way that they should have gone. Again. When they beat us. You're 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 the United States men's national team on the World Cup stage, buddy. Just <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> you know what? At least we're there. Right? You know what? We're there. We're fighting. We have an opportunity. That's all you can ask for. You got I, have, one? I have one last right. one. Okay. The famous Idaho potato bowl or the Bob Evans bowl. Oh. Idaho potatoes was a real bowl. But I feel like Bob Evans was as well. If this was the late 90s, I would be guessing that Bob Evans Bowl was a real thing. Um, <laughs> you, but I, I, I believe this that franchise true. has come on, on a little bit of hard times, uh, the, the family yeah, style. The, the Bob home Evans. Cookery, I used if you to will. love Bob Evans' home style. It's easy. Home it's style right here. I'm more, of a, I'm, I'm more of an Orida kind of guy, but I think the Duke's uh, famous potato bowl is the real one. The Dukes? You, oh, you combine two. Dukes, Mayo, sorry. You combine two. <laughs> sorry. The Idaho potato one Idaho is the real one. Bowl. You also mentioned the Dukes Mayo Bowl, yes. which is another real bowl. So that's that's an honorable mention. So those are some of the names. You guys easily went through them. But at least we showcase some of those bowl games because you probably won't remember them. And, and, and you won't remember them because they won't be around in a couple of years. That's, <laughs> that's usually how it, it goes. It usually changes. I'm interested. Okay, say that Mizzou does win. You think they'll get the Liberty Bowl again? I if can they, see if that. If they beat Arkansas this weekend, yes. they beat Arkansas Friday. Um, I mean, how many times have they been to the Liberty Bowl in the last five oh, years, six years, ten years? It feels like a lot, but I, I don't know if that's me also putting together when I covered Arkansas and then covering Missouri. That might be. They were, weren't <laughs> they in the both of them went to the Liberty Bowl, bowl. last year? Uh, the lib- last time they were in the Liberty Bowl was 2018. Versus? Uh, the, the big one with Mizzou. Iowa. I mean, they went, to, they went to three Independence Bowls across a— Nine-year span. That's the big one. That Who did they play in that Liberty bad. Bowl? Was it Iowa? Uh, that was, in fact, making me pull up some Barry Odom Got you era Mizzou. Looking some things up, some information. Yeah, they uh, no, they lost to Oklahoma State 38-33 in that game. Huh. Well, hopefully they get a win this weekend. Uh, this weekend hey, listen, we go to bowl games around here. <laughs> oh, that, I mean, that's the standard. That's where we want to be, winning bowl games, <laughs> not winning championships. We want to win championships, too. That's what we want to do. <laughs> the, the Tigers will take on uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks Friday afternoon. Um, Blues versus Sabres tonight. You can catch the pregame at 5 p.m. Game starts at 6 pregame, 5 p.m. with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitelli. Post game, after the game. After the game. <laughs> Don't know what time that'll be, but that'll be after the game. Late. <laughs> Late. Slew home tonight versus Paul Quinn College. 
Not sure about that. Haven't heard of them before, but that should be a W by they're, they're, they're a blood donor that Mizzou beat up on last year as hey. well. Okay, so they, that is pretty much it is what it is. your rundown for the sports this weekend. High school teams finishing up having the state finals, uh, state championship games. Good luck to all those games, all those teams. Your team, CBC, good luck. Scott Pingo is a great guy, so I, I'll shout out him. He's a good guy. Uh, good luck to them this weekend. One hell of Program builder, I tell you what. Yeah, you want to call it that. That's cool. <laughs> Brooke, thank you so much for being in this week. It has been absolutely amazing and yeah, awesome. Thank you for being here with us. Rock, thank you. Carrie, it's always been my pleasure. And if, and if you've missed any of these interviews, any of these segments over the last week or so, you can always check them out on 101 ESPN, sponsored by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And, of course, on Thursday and Friday, we'll be here with uh, some best ofs. we got some great interviews lined up. Adam Wainwright, Robert Thomas, Dan Deardorff, Bob Costas. Uh, heck, we even have an interview with Tim Ream uh, from a couple months ago when he was o- over in England before. And now he's going to be playing in the World Cup on Friday after you listen to him here on the best of the opening drive. So stay tuned if you're driving around before Thanksgiving on Thursday, or maybe you're finishing up your Black Friday shopping on Friday morning. Stay tuned for the best of uh, the opening drive here on 101 ESPN. Enjoy that. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We will talk to you on Monday. Coming up, BK and Ferrario is next on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.